0: And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast.
1: I sense a disturbance in the Force. You always sense a disturbance in the Force.
2: we're <laughs> <Yahoo! laughs> <laughs> <laughs> <You're> doomed. <laughs> For you! I don't like this. True. No. no! The back.
0: Really pissed me off. Oh no! <laughs> it's
2: a trap. Chewy, get us out of here! You can't run. R2! This is where the fun begins.
1: And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. This is it! Right! What's all this then? Welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 41. And as you can tell by my cheesy Britishness at the beginning, we have a friend on the show, Mr. Andrew Leyland in addition to <laughs> myself and Scott Gardner myself being Chris Honeywell.
2: Oh, it's a God. fair
1: cop. Why do you wait oh. until I take a drink to do these things? Exactly. Scott's monitor has a glaze of like so dried soda over it from all the spit takes he does during nope.
2: podcasts.
0: It's it's um it's an Arnold Palmer. <laughs> a light Ar- Arnold Palmer I might add.
1: I uh, I have once
0: again kicked the soda habit because it was kicking me so
2: hello
3: lovely American chum <laughs> how's it going man it's, it's tickety boo in cold miserable dreary wet England as opposed to bright nice sunny warm Florida hey I told you you were welcome to stay but no oh, Angela's already plotting our return <laughs> Megacon's looking tempted oh
0: Ooh, I like this idea all hey, right. you know we got—we uh, we got, got it Star on tape Wars. now. We got Star Wars celebration coming up. You know, I know that you liked your Star Wars
1: just a little bit. I think I'm—I'm I'm about getting ready to go to the blood bank and start giving blood so I can get to that goddamn <laughs> <laughs> <that> thing. <laughs> well, you know, uh,
0: I think—I uh, think I've finally been—I uh, think I finally met the e-reader that I want. And once that's accomplished, then uh I, I think, think I think I am I'm slowly trying to broker this deal with the wife to allow me to buy the e-reader that I want and then uh take like a portion of my comic book money that I had been spending on new issues and just sock it away for uh for Star Wars ah. celebration. Because I went to the comic shop, I went to my LC. I finally braved the um, how do I want to put this delicately? I finally braved the situation and journeyed to Sanford, Florida, where my LCS is. And did you wear a hoodie? Yeah. I mean, no, I did not. <laughs>
1: people either know Good what I'm thinking. talking about
0: or they don't, yeah. and I'm not getting into that. They situation, know what you're talking. Believe me, they LCS, know why yeah, you're ta- what you're talking well, about. See, that's why we Florida, won't so talk about it. I don't know it. how big of a story
1: this is. Oh, Elsewhere it's a stink like it's everywhere. People. Yeah, I got an. I got the feeling that it was a pretty big deal yeah, everywhere. There's, but. there's plenty of other places to hear about that. All you got to do is turn on a TV or a radio or open a newspaper. Yeah. So,
0: but by pure coincidence and happenstance, that's where my LCS is. And for a time, I was, uh, I was, you know, concerned about going there because I just didn't want to deal with that whole situation. But I finally went and dropped a lot more money than I should have. But of course, you know, it was it was well over a month's worth of books by that point because I've been putting it off and putting it off. But still, I dropped enough money that where finally, and I just looked at it and I was like, you know, this is ridiculous. I spent something something around like forty dollars or thereabouts on new issues, which you know basically amounted to just a couple of issues really, and then. I spent, I think, between 6 and $7 on a stack that was easily 10 times bigger than the new issues that were issues that I picked up out of the back issue bins. You know, mostly like three for a dollar comics and stuff like that. And I'm just standing there looking at these two, two stacks and going, this is completely ridiculous. You know, why, why am I doing this? And I get much more enjoyment out of the older stuff anyway, for the most part. And I, I'm finally that that's it. And somebody had sent me a message the other day on Facebook about, you know, hey, you know, I've been listening to you, you know, say that, you know, you're looking for something to, to you know, something portable to read your digital comics on, here you go. And they gave me the thing to look for. And I went and I took a look at it and I was like, Yep, I think this is the thing. So Yeah. I as soon as I can get it, I think I'm finally done with the whole new comics thing. And that's that's hopefully where I'll be able to draw my uh my Star Wars celebration money from, at least I hope so anyway.
1: I have to find my way to the LCS. I'm sure there's a new Walking Dead that I need to get. And I heard Peter Bag has a new series out on Dark Horse, in Dark Horse. So I got to go check those out. So now I actually have two comics to buy, but <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, hey, you know, between last Star Wars Monthly Monday and this Star Wars Monthly Monday, something monumental happened.
3: Yeah. It was all over your news. We might be talking about two different things. All right, we're we not I talking about that anymore. All right, okay. I was going to
0: refer to the fact that uh, I actually got to meet one of our guests from last episode. You're talking about the important stuff. Yeah, important to me. I don't know what Andy's talking about. <laughs> I never Andy's talking about because I don't understand. I think it him. was
1: like our latest beheading or whatever that happened here, you know.
0: <laughs> what were you Andy, that to? was
1: Wednesday. Jeez, we're over that now. <laughs>
3: Right. there's been four more shootings since then as yeah.
1: <laughs> there's been 15 to. serial drownings and yeah and five wood chipper incidents uh, I don't see.
3: know what I was referring to there was there seemed to be a different shooting every day that we were over there
1: <laughs> We try to keep things interesting here in America
3: yeah it was very much a case of and somebody's been shot but Chloe Cardassian yeah, yeah,
1: but yeah, exactly. Somebody's dead. Boobs. You got you to distill it right down, you know. <laughs> Blood. Oh, boobs. Between
0: then and now, Andy uh, traveled across the pond, and he came over here and was in uh, Orlando, Florida, for what? You were here like two weeks, right?
2: Three.
0: Three weeks. Yeah. And we actually. Hmm. Uh,
3: you're gonna do it, do it properly.
0: <laughs> I wish I could afford to. <laughs> Two and a
3: half years of saving up.
0: There you go. Well,
3: did you have a good time? Yes, it was excellent. Thank you. I enjoyed meeting you and your lovely family. Oh well, thank you. And
0: likewise. And we got to uh, we got to ride Star Tours together. Now this was your first uh, your first time on the new uh, the new newly uh, refurbished Star Tours. So what did you think of uh, Star Tours Two? The adventures
1: continue. It was shit. That's what I heard.
3: <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, it was fantastic.
0: I'm trying what? to remember what planets we got. What planets did we get when we rode?
3: Uh, we did it twice, and then we did it twice more with you. And I think we got everything apart from we didn't get Naboo. We didn't get Princess Leia. Is that it? Michael's saying that's all we didn't get in the four times that we rode it but it's fa- it's a fantastic if you get the chance to go to Florida um, and you're listening to this one you need to tap up Scott and meet up with him because he's great he's a really good bloke uh, uh, his, his kids are lovely they're alright yeah they're okay <laughs> yeah. Uh, Michael's just saying that every theme park we went to now we had to spot all the lightning rods <laughs> see I made,
0: it, I made it one of those situations that now that you've seen them you can't yep. unsee them is that it you did that yep. to me too
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah and uh, we went on star tours and the first two times we went on it we got a completely different ride both times we went on it because there's I'm different a- branching isn't there different branching of different themes I'm amazed that
0: you wrote it twice with me, and you didn't get Naboo. Because I really was starting to feel that I was cursed to eternally get <laughs> Tatooine and Naboo every single time I wrote it. Because um, seriously, uh, the also- last like dozen times I have written it, you know, by
3: myself, that's what I got every time was those same that, the same scenario. We did only get the pod race with you. Tatooine, <laughs> we, we never got that anywhere else. Um, the Darth Vader intro, I thought, was better than the Stormtrooper one. I like really? that. Yeah,
0: I like that one, but I like the other one because because uh, the freighter off in the distance is actually the Falcon, and you can see little. You know, it's like he's way, way off in the distance, but mm. you can see little Han Solo, like you know, arguing with the Stormtroopers before a, a, a laser fight actually breaks out, and he runs up the ramp and. You know, granted, like I say, it's way off in the distance. So you can, you know, you know it's him, but you can, you know, it's from quite a ways off. I don't know who the actor is, but he has the manner you know, the body language and the mannerisms of Harrison Ford. So that was pretty cool. I mean, they did a really good job of of matching it up, you know, to make it look like it's him. Although I'm, you know, I'm sure that it's not.
3: Well, I was going to ask you when Princess Leia shows up. Is mm-hmm. it Carrie Fisher?
0: I want to know how they did that. I'm, right. you know, typically with these kind of things, I can usually figure out how they're done, or, you know, I have a pretty good idea. That one, I'm completely stumped, because it sounds like
1: Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher and, doesn't sound like Princess Leia anymore, though. Right,
0: that's does at all. And, and it looks just like her, too. So I really don't know how they've done that.
1: Uh, you know, the visual one... Well, if they found a girl that... that- that can do that perfect impression i may have somebody to stalk now (laughs) (laughs) i mean the the voice thing
0: i'd be willing to say you know that they probably just found somebody that could that could do the voice but i mean it's remarkable because it sounds exactly like her because we didn't get princess leia what, what do we get we got, uh, got a and, and, uh, the Yo- the Abar one I think is actually pretty cool yeah. like and that the one. Yoda ones
3: cool as well it's all good I, was, I just won we kept going on it to see if I could get Princess Leia, and we never did because I was really interested in how they'd done it because like Chris says, Carrie Fisher doesn't sound like that anymore.
0: No oh, I remember what we got we got um we got um the death you know the uh, asteroid field and the death star
3: which is awesome.
0: What I'm trying to remember what planet that's i guess it's geonosis 'cause it's yeah. it's the same field yeah, at, uh,
3: we got Kashyyyk as well,
0: yeah, and that was my first that was the first time for my wife and and kids i i guess they, they told me afterwards that they had
3: never gotten that one before, which I didn't yeah. realize that you got that one twice, but the three d in it
1: is re- it's the best three d of any of them that's what I've heard i've heard the three d in it is like some of the best three d ever Yeah, it really it's really awesome.
3: I mean, we'd been on Spider Man before this, and I thought the new Spider Man three D was was really really good. And then I went on Star Tours, and it's like, well, they've just upped the bar again Uh, (laughs) because the the scenes where you're in space, following the other ships around and attacking the Death Star and stuff. They use the full three D of space Mm -hmm. instead of everything being on a plane and uh, it's fantastic the way it just swoops down and between all the starships and everything. It's just, it's just wonderful. It really is good. It's the opening 30 minutes of Revenge of the Sith, but you're in it. Oh. That's the only one I haven't done yet is, uh, is Coruscant. I still haven't seen the
0: Coruscant
3: one. We, we got Coruscant the first time we rode it, and it's, it's just fantastic.
0: See, I remember you, you telling me how impressed you were with the uh, with the 3D, and that's why I was, you know, despite being kind of tired of Naboo, I was really hoping that we would get it while we rode together so that you could see it, because of all of them, that has the best ending, because the, the way it ends makes spectacular use of the 3D. I don't want to give anything away, but of all the endings that you can get on the new Star Tours, That one does something. That's that's one of those like you know stick jab in your face type of 3D effects where everybody in the in the audience like lurches back from it and it's great. And Mm. so I wish we'd I wish we'd gotten that one because that one actually is pretty cool. And you know it's it's like a quick little. I mean, what do those clips last? Like a minute and a half or something like that. But it's It's not a long ride. It's such a quick little tour of Naboo that it's it's really neat because you know you get to see. what was the name of this, the underwater, Otogunga or whatever it was called, you know, the underwater yeah. city, and, you know, you get to see the big, you know, dinosaur fish and stuff like that. So it was actually, you know, that part of it's actually pretty neat because the world of, of you know, the, the subsurface Naboo stuff it is visually compelling, and it's just, you know, it's the movie around
3: it, I guess. Yeah. Well, and it's the, it's the, the whole coming out through the, sh- the little shop at the end, and like I dropped far too much money in that little shop. <laughs> and across the way, they've got the speeder bike, and we all had our photo taken on the
1: speeder bike, <laughs> which is fantastic. It looked like a football. It looked like um, it looked like you were passing off to the quarterback in one of those speeder bike pictures of you too.
0: <laughs> well, people gain, uh, you know, or a painful rectal
1: to- exam. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: Well, listeners can go to uh, to Facebook to check out my pictures that I posted because I put up a whole bunch of pictures. Mm. So
3: uh, We did the Jedi Academy thing as well. Uh, they've changed that significantly since the last time we were there. The last time we were there, you just stood in the crowd. And whoever was doing the Padawan apprentice shtick would just pit you out of the crowd. And it was dumb look who you got whether you got Darth Vader or whether you got Darth Maul and they've they've structured it more now that you have to sign up beforehand and then show up at a certain time and both of them come out both Darth Maul and Darth Vader come out simultaneously so it depends on who you get they split you into two groups and uh, the guy playing Darth Maul it has to be said was exceptionally good he's in the makeup and his, his face is just like Ray Park's it's really well done because the Darth Vader guy is obviously hiding behind the suit. I mean, he was really good. But the guy being Maul, what really was, dancing around all over the place and doing those um, judo moves that Ray Park did. And he, I was really impressed with Darth Maul. I've always been... Getting his face in Angela's he tried that again i'd have whipped his lightsaber off him and gouged
1: his <laughs> eyes out but other than that it was fantastic i've always been a big fan of ray parks especially you know i can't believe the guy who did the ghostbusters theme song ended up in star ray wars Parker,
3: no, it's weird, oh it
1: was
0: his son <laughs> sorry oh, i don't even know how to transition out of that
1: <laughs> sorry anyway. i'm the one who steered us down that dead end Hey guys, what's down this alley? Now we're getting mugged. Now you got
2: alley.
1: <laughs> yeah, we wish.
0: We need to get together at some point and uh, and talk about uh, our adventures over in uh, Universal Studios too.
3: Yes, we do.
0: Well, you just posted up an episode. I not—I mean, I don't remember what episode number it was, so you can throw it out there if you remember which one it was. But I
3: have no idea. It's the most recent one we've put up out of this recording day. All the stuff we did in Universal went up this week, and all the stuff we do in Hollywood Studios is going up next week. Okay, yeah.
0: the one I, I, I heard was, was the Universal stuff.
3: Yeah, so the Hollywood Studio ones goes up on Thursday. And uh, that's got you in it as well.
0: Well, any listeners that, uh, that have not been listening to, uh, to Andy's show, Andy is the co-host, along with his son, Michael, of the uh, Hey Kids Comics podcast, which is awesome, and you need to be listening to it, so do it right after this show.
2: <laughs> yep. You could actually <laughs> you could be, be, listen- yeah, you
1: could be listening to this show while downloading back episodes of, of uh, Hey Kids Comics, but only after you've downloaded all your back episodes of Two True Freaks.
3: Yeah, all your back episodes are still up.
1: <laughs> and there's only like well, 500 of them, you know. Let's see. What else have we got on the
0: docket to, to talk about in this preamble segment? I got just a couple of things. I wanted to shout out a uh, big – and this is, this is going to be a month-long shout-out, actually – I want to shout out uh, David A. Pascarella, whom I met recently. He came down to uh, Orlando, came down to Walt Disney World as well, and we got to hook up for uh, oh a couple of hours, a couple of three hours, I think it was, because uh, he and his wife were staying over at um, the Port Orleans Resort, which is a beautiful resort. And uh, I went over and met up with him. We just kind of hung out and just shot the breeze for I do at least two hours and just talked about kind of everything under the sun, just totally geeking out. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, he's a really great guy. And I got a great big huge box of books from him in the mail the other day. And uh, it covers just about everything that we talk about here on two true freaks. So like I say, this will be a month long shout out because I want to cover the other uh, things that he sent um, when we do our other shows, you know, Star Trek and comics and such. But the Star Wars related stuff that was in the box was uh, I got the first two trades, Volume One and Volume Two of Star Wars Tales, and these are the uh, the collected editions from Dark Horse Comics. Now I actually own these, so I am going to pass these off to my friend and co-host Chris.
1: <laughs> okay, I, I thought you would enjoy them because oh, I, I know will that you liked this title when it was out. So yes, I, I did. Oh wow, you. that's awesome. David you, David, David, a-
0: David Pascurella <laughs> David's an awesome guy and that was very nice of him because the uh, the postage on this box had to just be murderous because there was a ton of books in that box maybe so. he
1: was able to talk him into it was media mail or something these are refer- <laughs> this is reference <laughs> material I swear <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, let's see. What else have I got? But yes, thank you, David. I really do appreciate it. And as I say, when we, when we get to uh, particularly Star Trek, there was a ton of Star Trek
1: stuff. So um, I so think next- when people send us comics, they could technically argue at the post office that those are reference materials if they're sending them to us. I always argue that they're periodicals, and periodicals
0: are supposed to go media rate. Right. That, that's my argument that yeah. I always make. You
1: know. They're sending those podcasts to us for us to to use in a in a show. So they're reference materials. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why does that go at a better rate, reference? Yeah, material? You can, that's
1: how you go. That's how you go uh, media mail. A lot of times, you say this is a reference book.
0: Oh, okay. That works for me. I have no problem lying to the USPS, you know, it doesn't bother me at all.
1: Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you got that on tape. I sleep
0: just, I just. (laughs) Uh, Let's see, I I promised that I would uh, throw this out there. So here we go. I'm fulfilling my promise. This is a little story that I want to tell called My Wife and Anakin Skywalker. So I'm in the Lego store at uh, downtown Disney wow. yesterday. We were, uh, yeah, I know. And uh, it was uh, we were celebrating Logan's birthday. Logan just turned 12 the day before that, and so we took Happy Logan birthday, to
2: downtown.
0: Logan, Aww. And so we took Logan to uh, to the T Rex restaurant, which is awesome, by the way. If you ever get a chance to go, it was totally, totally cool. I love that place. So afterwards, the kids wanted to go over to the Lego store, so we're in the Lego store and we're looking around. And they had a couple of end caps that had these little teeny tiny Lego figures that were keychains. And right away I spot two. And I've, you know, it's one of these like decisions, decisions moments, you know, where I'm holding one in one hand and one in the other. And I cannot make up my mind. And one is Boba Fett with a rocket pack, Lego Boba Fett with a rocket pack. And the other one is Lego Superman with a real cloth cape. And I'm like back and forth, which one do I want? Which one do I want? And then I'm looking at the other ones that they have, and they had a Watto, which was very, very cool. It was a little teeny tiny Lego Watto. Get lost!
2: Come back when you got us some
0: money! And then they had a, uh, a Lego, it was young Anakin, it was pod racing Anakin Skywalker. And I wanted to get it for Logan, so I, I picked it up and I, I gave it to my wife, and I was like, "You got to get this for Logan." She goes, "Does he like that movie?" And I was like, "Yeah, I think so. I think that's like his favorite one." And I said, "At least it used to be when he was little. I don't know about now." And she goes, "Really?" She goes, "I didn't know that." And I was like, "Yeah, I, I said I think he really you know feels that he identifies with with little Anakin." And my wife doesn't <laughs> miss a beat, man, and she says, "Is that because his mom's a slave too?" <laughs> and i start to laugh and then we we both were laughing then we both stopped and she looked at me and i looked at her and we had one of those telepathic moments and she goes something to the effect of, like oh my god you're rubbing off on me or something and i was like hey that was total geek cred and she goes oh my god you're gonna talk about this on the show aren't
1: you (laughs) oh no (laughs) Once again, long-suffering, that's all I gotta say. Scott Gardner's (laughs) long-suffering wife.
3: Well, when we were over there, um, our entire families got together in Hollywood Studios to go on uh, Tower of Terror and uh, there was a bit at the end of the day where, where scott had to go because uh, his wife was going to work the next day and we were shooting off over to magic kingdom to go to the fireworks and just before we were splitting up angela and uh, scott's wife had a moment where they discussed what it was like to live with comics <laughs> not with us to live with boxes of comics and just the faces on the purr of them was just like what did we do what did we do to deserve this <laughs>
0: They hit it's, it up so well, and it made me so happy that they they was, they totally
2: did.
1: It was one of the funniest visual moments of yeah. the entire trip. It's, trend. it's <laughs> called it's called commiserating. Yeah, but yeah, they're, they're, it's a they're, form they're, of bonding. Yes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> they are they are charter members in the uh, the podcast widow community. Yeah, you know of, what I mean? Out of
1: yeah. out of pain comes a bond. Yeah. <laughs> out of out of pain and oppression comes a. a... <laughs>
2: A I, I certain unitedness. Sadder,
3: I think what was even sadder for them both is, is what we've done to our children. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: And that they're both probably going, and you know what? So many years have gone by, now it's too late, and now it's happening to me, too. <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> you've, got,
3: you've got Angela can now quote Star Wars at me, and does so at the most opportune times.
1: <laughs> She's gotten really quite good at it. Well, that's that's what you got to do. That's like people who have, like, maybe say you're in a marriage with somebody who's really religious. You know, you got to learn the Bible so you can stick up for yourself at some point. <laughs> right. or, or throw something back in their face and go, oh, yeah, well, what about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've yep. been reading that book, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. Every once in a while, that'll happen around here where, where I'll say something and she'll totally – it's something geeky. And she'll totally call me on it and – I'm both very proud, and at the same rate, I'm just, I just have that little, you know, that little smirk to myself going, mm-hmm, that's it, I'm, I'm rubbing off on you. I thought you were going to... I'm dragging you into this, kicking and screaming.
1: I thought you were going to say, so, she was going to say something like, so, our son is going to grow up to kill all <laughs> the Jedis and become <laughs> the most evil force in the, in the universe? Always the quiet ones. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he's out in the backyard and he goes yippee and they're like oh shit it's a bad sign <laughs> 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 don't you ever say that again
0: well i've got two possible transitions from this moment all right i'm gonna i'm gonna choose the the first one because oh, uh sort of speaking of of Cloyd, i had a we're, we're not exactly the most news topical uh, podcast when it comes to Star Wars news. I leave that to other Star Wars podcasts that, that kind of make that their business. But I just thought I should mention this real quick, seeing as how it sort of ties into, uh, well, everything. Star Wars Weekends are coming up, and they had just announced the, uh, the celebrity uh, list for appearances for Star Wars Weekends. So... Star Wars Weekends is going to take place over uh, four weekends in both the end of May and the beginning of June. So May uh, 18th through the 20th, we got uh, Ray Park, who we were just talking about, played Darth Maul. He's going to be I'm there.
1: scared of no ghosts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jeremy Blake, who uh, I don't recognize these characters' names that he played. Rune, Hako and Masamita? Matsumi the name rings a bell, but I can't remember what character he was. But anyways, from uh, Phantom Menace, he's going to be there. And then D was Bradley...
3: Rune Hako was one of the Nemoidians at the beginning, Okay, yeah, I, I, I think, think you're so. right.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's the underling one, I, yeah. I think.
2: The
1: um,
0: Oh,
3: yeah, yeah, Thingio's the other one. Oh, God, what's his name? He was Kato in the Pink Panther uh, films.
0: Reg, Rega uh, Gunray, Newt Gunray.
3: Yeah, that was it's Kato like... from the Pink Panther. Oh, is it really? can't
1: remember his name. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah, oh, I, I did Oh, man. Know that. Now I want to see him, like, running at Anakin going, <laughs> And then Anakin coming at him with the lightsaber from the other direction.
2: Because
3: <laughs> 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 the, he's um, the radio adaptation of Superman Doomsday as well. He's Dr. Chen. And oh, for wow. for the life... I'm I'm blanking on the actor's name. Yeah,
0: I know I I know who you mean. I can't think of his name either. Wow, I had no idea that that was him. Huh. (laughs) Well, also in that first weekend, uh, Dee Bradley Baker is going to be there. He does the voice of uh, of the clones in Star Wars: The Clone Wars. I'd kind of like to talk to him just about his voice work and all. He's got a cool voice. Then uh, the second weekend, May 25th through the 27th, we've got Andy, I hope I'm pronouncing this name right, So, Sokum, uh, that played Watto, or was the voice of Watto, oh, and then cool. Ray Park is there. Yeah, I know, I, w- I want to talk to him just to get a sound clip for the show. Oh, oh that hey. would be
1: awesome. Uh, oh. <laughs> that would be awesome, I know.
0: And uh, Tom Kane, who's the voice of Yoda on, uh, on Clone Wars. And then the third weekend is uh, June 1st through the 3rd. Jake Lloyd is going to be there. I I actually I'm really excited about that. I actually want to meet Jake Lloyd. Um, I like that video that he put out. What was that a year or two ago? Kind of he kind of did his own version of like the Crusher Crusher video. Yeah I love
1: that. I thought it was great. uh, You you should come up to it. You want to have an awkward moment? Come up to him with a shirt that just says yippee on it. (laughs) (laughs) Big yellow (laughs) letters and just stand there smiling like Oh, that would be cruel.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, let's see. Now, there's a guy, the next guy listed here says that he played Newt Gunray. Silas Carson? Is, that's the, the, they have listed here as playing Newt Gunray and Keati Mundy. I wonder if that's right. Because <laughs> those are two very different characters, mm-hmm. you know, in, in height and stature and everything, if, if those really are the same ones. And then there's uh, a voice talent to be decided yet, it says. And then the last weekend, June 8th through the 10th, is uh, Michonne. And I have no idea how you pronounce this last name. It's uh, B O U R R I A G U E. Baragi? I have no idea. And she played Ara Singh in uh, Phantom Menace. Jeremy Bullock. Boba Fett himself is going to be there. Uh, Daniel Logan, young Boba Fett is going to be there, and uh, Nika Futterman, who oh, was Hope's boyfriend.
1: boyfriend. Yeah, it is Hope's. Are boyfriend. you listening, Hope? Maybe you should make a little field trip up there. He he, he was kind of holding the candle to for you. I heard, took a little shine to you. <laughs>
0: And, um, lastly, I wanted to, uh, call back. You had said something about, uh, my, my long suffering wife. And I realized that that was a, was a callback to, uh, what was that? What, uh, it was walking dead Wednesday that you guys were talking about that, right?
1: Probably. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. It was you and Mike
1: and Joe Anthrax.
0: <laughs> Joe Anthrax, We're talking about that. And, uh, I just wanted to say thank you very much. Cause you guys kind of started out the show, uh, you, know, you had mentioned that I, w- I wasn't available for that episode, but then you were talking about the, the Titanic we episode. We decided to
1: go for the kiss-your-ass angle rather than the make-fun-of-Scott-when-he-wasn't-there <laughs> angle. Yeah. I, I don't know why we we're took chance. the high, yeah. high road. I don't know. It was me and Michael Bailey, so I don't know why we like did that. But, yeah, I mean, I think it deserved it. Well, we were trying to also explain why you weren't there, you know, that you were literally like a melted puddle of podcaster after doing that episode.
0: I just I needed some decompression
1: time after that, but uh, I wanted just really thing. funny when you're talking about the Titanic because he was in his yeah, di- yeah, it was an unintentional in diving pun. ball. Diving ball.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was an unintentional pun, but no, seriously, uh, I wanted to, to thank you and, and the guys involved in that episode for for the very kind words. But also, um, I, I lack a better place to do this, so I've just figured you know it's the, it's this is the first episode of the month, so I'll go ahead and throw it out here. Thank you to everyone that uh, has had such kind words and been really supportive of that episode. Um, I was kind of nervous putting that one out there because as, uh, I don't know if I've ever said this on the air or not, but I know that Michael Bailey and I have talked about this many, many, many times in the past. You know, Michael has a great show out there that I, I'm i not sure if it's still on hiatus or if he's now returned. I, I keep hearing rumors that he's bringing it back, but he does a show called uh, Views from the Long Box. And kind of Michael's kind of sort of shtick on that show is that it's all about mike you know and it is a very personal show for him and i've always been very envious of of how well he did that show but also at the same rate i've told mike many times dude there's no way i could do that there's no way i could put so much of myself forth out there like that you know just really just lay your soul bare yet that episode you know the titanic one that i did was kind of it, that was kind of my my episode you know for doing that for taking something that really I hadn't talked much about ever in in podcasts uh, you know and really hadn't talked much about in in a number of years and and really just tried to present you know a piece of me for the audience, you know what i mean and so it was it was a labor of love but i, I was, but when I was all finished and done with it and I listened back over it, I was I almost shelved it. I was really nervous to put it out there because the, the, the last thing I wanted after doing that episode was to put it out there and have people go, Oh my God, you know, how, how over the top melodramatic is this, you know? And knock on wood, I haven't received a single criticism for that episode. I mean, everybody's had really nice things to say and they, they've been very, uh, very supportive. And I, I've just been very appreciative that, uh, that it was a well-received episode. And, uh, so I just wanted to thank everybody for, uh, you know, if, if anybody hated it, they kept it to themselves. And normally I'm not one to say, hey, you know, don't don't send negative feedback. But, I mean, seriously, I mean, if, if anybody didn't like it, they didn't say so. And this one time, I really appreciated that because it, it meant a lot to me. It was a very uh, personal episode. So, anyway. <laughs> now there's somebody you. going,
1: oh, shit, I forgot to send out that email. <laughs> that reminds me. And <laughs> yeah, now I get a flood of people. <laughs> you
0: know, that episode, I thought it sucked. But, no, seriously. No, no, it
1: was, it was a really good one, Scott.
3: Well done. It was very well scored, it was very well researched, it was exactly the kind of thing I think you do a lot, I think you're selling yourself short though, that I can't do. We, just, we, we did a mutual backslapping thing when we met each other, but I think it's much easier to hide behind bad singing and silly voices, which is what I do, than be <laughs> that open like you were on that show. And uh, even my wife, who doesn't listen to any of our drivel, let's be honest, uh, has expressed an interest in listening to that one. Oh wow. So there you I, go.
0: I'd be, I'd be very curious to to know what she would think of it. You know, what was funny is um by no means did I ever take this as like a, a negative criticism or anything, but the the one thing that kept coming up again and again, I heard it from several different people, was that several people had told me um through different, you know, things, different forms of feedback, that they thought it was the best solo thing I ever did. And the first couple of times I heard that. I didn't quite take it as a compliment. I kind of took it as, "Wow, really?" Diss on your you other know?
1: stuff that you did. Yeah,
0: kind
1: of <laughs> a little bit. Hey, Scott, and, it's your first non crap podcast. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't know that I quite agree. It was the
0: best solo thing I ever did, but it's certainly the most uh, the most personal. And uh, so that's you know, I really you know, thank you. For, for saying that, it, it really that does that feedback really does mean a lot to me. So you know, sincerely from the bottom of my heart, thank you
1: very much. Sincerely but- from the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Bert Quick's the guy. That's his mm-hmm. name
3: Bert Quick. Burt Quick. Yes, yes, that's. you his filmography that he was in the Phantom Menace. So maybe it's not him, but bloody hell, it sounds like him. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But he's not listed on his filmography, so maybe it isn't him. Hmm. Is, I see. I had I had thought that he was dead now, but I could. Be... No, he's still around. He got um. He got an OBE last year. See, there
0: we go. There's that. There's that segment that the listeners have been asking for. I thought he was dead. So there. <laughs> it's, it's this month's entry. <laughs> Is he not dead yet? <laughs> <laughs> I swear to god we're going to make a segment out of that I think we'll, we'll squeeze it into Comics Monthly Monday and that will be my Contribution to Comics Monthly Monday Is I'll, I'll have Mike and Chris <laughs> Put their heads together and come up with a list of like Three or four celebrities and then they can quiz me Alright alive or dead You know and
1: we'll do that um, That's a so good idea, idea.
0: Yeah. Peter Falk
1: Who? He's alive Peter, Peter Falk He's the alive, Columbo? He's alive. Yeah. I, think I think he's, he's done Falk. movies recently Nope dead Oh! Is he dead? I was so confident she, that he was alive. See, I suck at this game. <laughs> Mickey Rooney. game though, isn't he? Mickey, Mickey Rooney, Rooney is... is Mickey Rooney's ...still alive. ...dead. Is he dead? No, I'm pretty alive. sure he's still alive. I'm pretty sure he's just like actually See, you like
0: You can't get... with pretty sure
1: though. You got to you got to have you got to have your facts before you go into this. It w- well um, that's one of them where like I recently heard something like Mickey Rooney said blah 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 and it was like, "Really? Mickey Rooney said that?" I remember when the movie Bill came out and it was just like, "Oh, this is nice, but Mickey Rooney's getting a couple acting roles before he dies." And that was what well, when we were in high school. See, uh, there's a lot
0: there's one that I'm I'm going to take off the table though before we ever start playing this game, and that's Grandpa Munster because I'm telling you, I'm gonna at least three more times <laughs> in my lifetime, I'm gonna hear what that son of a bitch just passed away because I know that I've heard it at least four times already. So <laughs> I, I think he's still around because every couple of years I see a new obituary for him. I'm like Jesus Christ, I thought he was dead he, twenty years. He was ago. Just
1: running for president. That, that should be it. <laughs> ra- dead or running for president. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why not? Everybody else is running for president. You might as well, too. Well, let's say
0: we take a little break and then we come back and dig into these uh, Star Wars comics because about this time, I'm, I'm sure that there are people going, wait, I thought this show had something to do with Star Wars. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, okay. Well, we'll be right back and we promise we'll talk about Star Wars and not about long suffering wives people. and dead people <laughs> <laughs> and decapitations. We'll be right back!
0: Just once, in a lifetime, does a podcast come along that pushes the boundaries of the medium, that redefines... What it is to be an internet radio broadcast that touches us, reaches into us, inspires us, teaches us, that causes us to re-examine just who we are and why we are, that expands our horizons. That makes us completely rethink our destiny in this cosmos and our place in the grand design. Just once in a lifetime. But while we're all waiting for that podcast to be invented, why not give a listen to Hey Kids Comics? Hey Kids Comics is a smart, fresh, and hilarious podcast that looks at all kinds of fun and interesting topics related to the ever-evolving world of the comic book art form. You can find Hey Kids Comics at aplayland.podomatic.com That's Hey Kids Comics. Sorry. Right. Long Ago in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars the greatest space fantasy of all. Welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 41. I'm Scott Gardner, and we're going to get into the Marvel Comics segment of the show. Joining us for this episode, or still with us, rather, for this episode is Andy Leyland of the uh, Hey Kids Comics podcast. And Chris Honeywell. <laughs> Chris Honeywell is going to supply the uh, synopsis for uh, for the first issue that we're looking at this
1: month. <laughs> or not. Hello! <laughs> I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with Star Wars Marvel Comics number 87. <laughs> it's, a, it's from September 1984. It's a 60 center. I actually, I don't have a Canadian version this time that's 75 cents. I have an actual American 60 cent version of it. Uh, we've got a beautiful painted Tom Palmer cover. Joe Juffy's a scriptwriter and plotter for this one, and Tom Palmer basic is the artist for this one top to bottom we've got rick parker jr once again showing his multi-talented spectrum of of skills from who are you gonna call yeah from from ghostbusters soundtrack to phantom menace to lettering uh star wars comics this guy is amazing um and then we've got michael iggins doing colors uh (laughs) and the sentias editor and jim shooter editor-in-chief all right. So this time we have a uh, we have a uh, a title which uh it sounds to me like either a yogurt commercial or a commercial for like old people's vitamins or something, but it's called <laughs> Still Active After All These Years. <laughs> That's <a> laxin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
3: It pretty much was, really, wasn't it?
1: Still moving after all these years. (laughs) But above! Yes, it was. Set him up, man. Not that I'm giving away what we thought of it or anything. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Spoiler. (laughs) All right. As. It seems a lot of our our Star Wars comics start lately. We're going to start with the sentence, Luke is on a diplomatic mission to the planet blank, which this time is Shaqen. Mm-hmm. But this time he's got a psychic bunny, a guy in an aquarium, and three smugglers in tow. So they get to the planet and they meet Santor, the representative <coughs> of the people of Shaqen. So uh, while Luke, Kiro, and Pliff they all want to talk politics, the three smugglers, uh, Donnie the Zeltron, Rick, and Cheeto the lizard face would rather pillage and sack and would just, you know, sort of want to get up to some trouble. So Luke decides to sort of cut them off at the pass and uh, talks to Santor. And they decide the best thing to do is send him off on a, a sort of wild goose chase to some deep, unexplored, underground... A civilization that's in a mountainside just you know down the road from where they're talking as if that sounds like a good idea to keep them out of trouble and of course they jump at the chance to go in there and steal whatever artifacts or anything that's uh, laying around in there and so they decide they'll go check it out during the diplomatic discussions Kiro starts getting a bee in his bonnet or, or rather it's more like a piranha in his, in his fish tank about those guys (laughs) you know messing with the this planet while they're doing a diplomatic mission so he decides to rush off and and stop them from from causing any any trouble in kind of a huff and um of course he finds them you know deep down underground in, in this cavern filled with artifacts and ancient carvings and they're they're arguing about you know what and how they're gonna steal everything and uh He comes in and confronts him and has a little scuffle with Cheeto, which triggers a hidden um, sort of mechanism in the wall, which locks him in the room and then sets off a ticking machine built by, okay, brace yourself, space nihilists that will blow up the planet and set off a chain reaction that will of course destroy the entire universe. When, uh, Luke and Santor notice that they've been gone for a while and go to rescue the four, Luke in- in defeating, uh, defense system finds a- a sort of panel on the wall that explains, you know, sort of how everything is doomed and this underground civilization is basically a giant mechanism to destroy the universe. So using, um, he, uh, has Pliff suck up all the power out of the doors that are keeping the doors closed and- and rescues the four guys out of the room. But um, he decides, you know, we've got, I, I, I don't know, after much thought, they, they, they figured it might be a good idea to turn off the machine that's going to destroy the universe. <laughs> so so Luke, you know, grabs oh, his lightsaber. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he decides he's going to go do that. And Kiro, feeling that it was his fault for wrestling around with Cheeto when he should have been just, like, maybe talking to the Cheeto bandito. <laughs> the Greedo bandito. The Greedo bandito. <laughs> Um, so he decides he's going to go along because he's partially responsible. So they start to get close to the where they have to go and they find out, oh how how convenient, there's a giant underground river that blocks off their path and Luke, being so completely unfamiliar with water at this point, sort of starts balking on, at it and that's Kiro's perfect chance.
0: Despite the fact that he's been to two water planets
1: at and, this point. And been swimming underwater left and right, all through these comics. So Kyro takes off his suit and, and uh, borrows Luke's lightsaber and dives in, and there he finds a glowing giant underwater face. And when you chop a glowing underwater face in half, it usually turns off the the universe-killing machine, which it does. So Luke returns back to the to the crew with what appears to be the uh, lifeless body of Kiro and um, you know, uh, Pliff sort of does a little bit of a Vulcan mind meld and determines that Kiro is not dead. There's some little bit of life still burning in there somewhere. And that's where we that's where we leave it off. Very exciting. The universe almost got blown up, guys. That that was a I wish I gave more up. of a shit about it. You know, I, I hate was, those, I hate those space nihilists, man. What the hell was that all about? We once had a prosperous planet where everything was so good, and the nihilists decided it was so good that they were going to destroy the universe. But we've forgotten about that. It was what? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The cover I was think good.
0: we should. I think we should let our guest <laughs> go first with his thoughts on this one. What? I'm sorry. What'd you say, Andy? The cover was good. <laughs> I like the uh, in the upper right hand corner. I'm pretty sure I've seen that dude in the opener no, no, to Scooby Doo. No. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty yeah. sure he's the one that comes out and goes. Eh, eh.
1: Yes, it is. It's <laughs> that's Old Man Johnson, really. Oh, <laughs> it runs the haunted amusement park. Yes, exactly. He'd have gotten away with it if not for that pesky fish man in the Jedi Knight. I, I I think the art in this comic was was really good too. You know the, the yeah the, the art, art was, in general the art was good. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yep. It
1: has
0: Pliff in it, so it's not without redeeming qualities. But uh, yeah, I, I liked yeah.
3: Pliff.
1: Yep, yep. I'm getting about damn uh, sick and Luke not getting laid with uh, with the Zeltron there. Oh,
0: dude, you 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 beat me to the punch because I was just going to say, dude, I am wi- I am on your side at this point. What the hell is wrong with Luke Skywalker?
1: She wants to jump his bones. What the hell's wrong with him? She's a Zeltron. They are they're they're basically no strings attached sex. She's they're hot. Deltons,
3: aren't they? They're equivalent of Star Trek's Deltons. Yes. Yeah, yeah, very
1: yes. much so. And yeah. and Luke is. Luke is 20-some years old by this time. He has not gotten laid. I'm sorry.
2: It's just <laughs> no, not he happened. He and
1: Leia got it on between... Uh, that, between... Uh, he's, he's not counting that.
3: Was he not <laughs> knocking boots with Shira Brie?
1: It, I think it's
0: heavily implied.
3: I Perks thought he was it. as well. Yeah,
0: I think I think it is. Well, either way... And I think he offed that other redhead chick. I think he did her and then did her in, if you know what I mean.
1: <laughs> well, got anyway. Off before she got off. Anyway, he knows ain't nothing happening with him and Leia at this point. Because <laughs> yeah, right? that would just be gross. <laughs> exactly. At this point. <laughs> exactly. So, come on, Luke. Come Although, on. Although, to
3: be fair, not to give anything away about the next issue, but Leia's exactly the same in the next issue when she's promised a Zeltron bloke. She's very, oh, you take him away from me? I'm clean, I'm clean. Are they
1: trying, <laughs> are they trying, were they thinking that they were trying to appeal to like 10-year-old kids who are like, ew, she wants to kiss him, you know, or something you like that. Then they're barking up the wrong tree, man, because... Yeah, yeah. They, 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 yeah.
0: They, I was 16 by this point. I wanted some nakedness in go, my Star go Wars. Go for it, comments. Zeltron's. Yeah,
1: there was no ew going on there when I saw the Zeltron's. If, if maybe you know, if maybe she was had a hideous scarred face or you know a fish face or something, you know, okay, you know, we can see Luke's distaste. But the fact is, what's, come on, what's, I've seen some of your girlfriends. What's what's different b- b- with, with her from a regular human girl? Except she's got like. Uh, a bad sunburn, you know. It's it's it, it's it's just a matter of it's, yeah the, yeah they're yeah they're beautiful and they love sex, but I just don't like that red skin. I don't know, it just doesn't do Luke's it for a me. a racist. Yeah, what's his problem? Come on, man. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of space racism
0: going on in these issues.
1: <laughs> it's getting um, as bad as Star Trek, man, and I'm getting sick of it.
3: it's not that it was bad let's
0: just just
1: call it it that it was bad let's just call it It spacism from now on or spracism (laughs) (laughs) spracism I like it
3: that's very good (laughs) would it have been as, as tedious do you think if it had been issue 83 which it was supposed to be that's the I think
0: ultimately that's my problem with this story is that it got teased for like 15 issues in a row before we <laughs> finally got it and then when we finally get it it's like, well that wasn't
1: worth waiting for, you know. It's it's a terrible title, just a terrible terrible title. Hey, what is it? A take on a Paul Simon song? Where does that belong in <laughs> the Star Wars universe? That's where I'm getting, it, you know. Is it? Well, there's a Paul Simon song called Still Crazy After All These Years. So every time I see that I I hear Paul Simon singing Still Active After All and Still Active After All These Years sounds like some eighty year old person is like, I take, you know, B vitamins out of my life, but I'm still active (laughs) after all these years. I can kick and jump and I ride my horse. It's it just doesn't (laughs)
2: sound
1: like I think It sort of also, I think, was implied, I was expecting them to find the Empire in there, although it hasn't been years since the Empire's been defeated. I thought it was going to be, you know, some sort of active Empire base, I don't know. Right, yeah. Not some space nihilist plot from the past. I think the problem is, I just don't care. Um, I don't care about Rick (laughs) Duel.
3: I don't care about Greedo or whatever his bloody name is. I don't care about the red chick unless Luke's bending her over his X-wing and pleasuring her. I don't care about Fishboy. I quite like Pliff. Yes, and that's it. And it's it's is this like the third or fourth issue in a row somebody's been on a diplomatic mission? Well, everybody but that's Fli- kind
0: of the new mission statement, though. Unfortunately, mm. is they had nowhere they they were so boxed in that they really were limited on what they would they could do. And so unfortunately, this this Star Trek bent that it now takes is is almost, you know, it's almost a necessary evil. You know, they really didn't have much else they could do. And see, I remember feeling very much the way you do. Uh, about these secondary characters at the time when I was a kid, but you know, over the years, I've come to feel like they're just as much Star Wars characters as the rest of them. I, I guess it's just time, you know what I mean? I've I've gotten used to them over time. Now I like revisiting these guys, but I remember feeling that way at the you know when I was a kid, going, I don't really give a rat's ass about Rick Duel. I want to see Han and Lando, and where are those guys? You know, so yeah, I, I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah, Rick Duel is Han Solo with a beard, basically. You know, well, he's
0: Han Solo that could potentially get offed. Yes. You know what I mean? that That's what these guys... These guys are the cannon fodder that the regulars can't be. And plus, I think they were created so that you could actually do things with them, you know, as opposed to, you know, Luke and Han and Lando. There's really nothing that Lucasfilm was going to allow uh, Joe Duffy or anyone else to do with those characters. Unfortunately... From what I've read anyway, then Lucasfilm began to dictate what could be done with those characters, despite the fact that, you know, someone else had created them, you know, just the the simple fact that they were under the Star Wars banner, you know, Lucasfilm began to dictate about them as well. So, you know, they were really boxed in. Because, you know, the diplomatic mission thing is okay for for a couple of issues if it's going somewhere, but it's starting to feel like it's really not.
1: Do you think George Lucas is in a room somewhere going, Dear Marvel Comics, I really like this character of Donnie. Could you have her naked and having sex with Luke Skywalker? Just draw it and send it to me for my approval. Love, George Lucas.
3: <laughs> I don't think George Lucas knew they were publishing comics at this point. <laughs> I don't think he could.
1: <laughs> no, he was reading every single one of them. You think? I don't like this. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, I did like the no, subtle thing so. they're
3: doing with Luke's outfit. I like yeah. that he's now wearing a mixture of black and white. Because in the films he went from wearing white in the first one to beige in the second one to black in the third one. So I kind of like that he's, he's reached this middle ground symbolically. But, and also, I, I I had to read the last two pages of this twice before I got what had happened. Fishboy swashes at the Scooby-Doo villain with Luke's lightsaber. And then a big tidal word happens, and everyone goes, oh, what's happened? And then Fishboy shows up. No, he's dead. And then Pliff said, oh, no, he isn't. Everything's okay. The end. <laughs> yeah, I know. It just ends. Yeah, and just I really stops. think that
0: Luke needs to be winking in that last panel because yeah. he's looking right at us, you know?
3: Yes, we owe Fishboy that much. Wink, and you're
1: like, no, we don't. Hey, man, everybody, because, hey, man, we do owe Fishboy because this was a long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away, but all the galaxies are. You know, I mean, just the idea, I, I mean, A, there's no fear of this thing destroying the universe because if they can't do anything with Han Solo and and um, Lando Calrissian, then they definitely cannot destroy the entire universe in a Star Wars comic. <laughs> so it, it just ain't gonna happen. You know, it just ain't. It, it, that's never gonna happen in any movie. That's why That's why I always hate that it will set off a chain, it, a chain, it will just destroy all of reality, and it's like oh well, you know, I mean God knows, maybe one day I'll catch that movie where at the end you know, the, the timer runs out and then, you know, everything just goes white, you know, or or whatever but Planet of the Apes
3: the second one.
1: Yeah. That's right. He's got you. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I admit, yeah, admit doing
2: it. Sequels, though.
1: Yeah, I I was just going to say it didn't stop the time timeline at them. all. <laughs>
3: nope. I liked page 13.
1: 13.
0: Oh yeah, the one where Luke jumps up for the taking the thing out.
3: Yeah. But by and large, it was like, I didn't feel there was a particularly big threat going on, despite the threatened
1: destruction of the universe. I'd be there. No, and, and, and the machine that that <laughs> threatens to destroy the mu- the universe, what noise does it make? Tick, 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 tick. tick what is tick. this, tick. like, hook or something? You know, is this Peter <laughs> Pan or something? It's the crocodile that's going to destroy the universe.
0: I still can't figure out why Luke's outfit in this... It, it, the word that comes to mind every time I look at this is priestly. It looks vaguely religious to me, and I can't figure out why I think so. It just, I, I don't know. It's it something does look about
1: like. The, he has got a black collar on. Yeah, yeah. Maybe
0: that's it, yeah.
1: It's got With a little bit of the Catholic priest look to it. Yeah, yeah. It really does.
3: I mean, did they change his boots and his tunic to white just to differentiate in the color scheme?
0: I can't help but wonder if it has something to do with with black-suited Spider-Man that was out around this same time. But that, again, that's just, uh, you know, just a guess.
3: There is is what you've mentioned in an earlier episode. Why is he still wearing that glove? Why is he not going to got his hand fixed? I can only guess
0: about that, that there was an action figure out around the same time. That's the only thing I can think of. That, or uh, maybe again, maybe it's a Lucas dictate. You know what I mean? They they weren't allowed to to change it back, or so I don't know. It's it is mm-hmm. very odd though, because by this point, come on, he has to have gotten his hand fixed by You'd now. Think you so. would think
3: yeah, I mean yeah. it's established in an earlier issue. It's not like he's busy. Right. I mean, in, in an earlier, I think it was issue eighty-two, the what should have been the first part of this story. He's just goofing around with the Ewoks. So, surely he's had time to go and get his hand fixed.
1: I one would think. It doesn't seem like it takes too long to get your hand fixed in the Star Wars universe. So, yeah. I don't know, I mean, you know, pres- if we didn't know Luke was such a a, a wimp with the ladies, you'd think <laughs> he would maybe want to keep the mechanical hand to go, hey, ladies, you want to check out my ca- mechanical hand? It's fully maybe functional. <laughs> one it's one
3: of got those- a vibrator feature, yeah. Maybe he wants to win one of those My Scars Better Than Your Conversations, like in <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that would Uh, be the presentation of it's nice. That would be a trump
1: card, yeah. Just pull up your sleeve and you got a mechanical
3: hand. Take your glove off. (laughs)
1: Look at my
3: bionic hand, ladies. (laughs) Uh, I've got this in the long time ago trade paperback, and the presentation's lovely. It looks like it's all been nicely recolored and such.
0: I was just going to ask if it had been recolored.
3: It looks like it, but obviously I've not got the original to compare it. to. Okay, so
1: page Uh, thirteen. So let's go to your favorite page, page thirteen. What's is the color scheme like in the background? Sort of like red and tan and yellow. Yeah, it's kind of reddy, orangey, yellowish. Yeah, so that's sort and, of the, that's yeah. the most obvious like weird color thing going on in the in the comics on that page.
3: I do want to know why Luke's lightsaber is making the same sound effect that the TARDIS does in Doctor Who comics.
2: <laughs>
3: VORP? Yep. <laughs> um, the only thing with these trade paper have you got these or have you got the original issues
0: in front of me I have the original issue yeah, yeah. me too
3: um, it's got a, an introduction by Randy Stradley where he's talking Does about the, uh, yeah, by yeah he's talking about the Alderan factor and uh, how he came about to write it and all of these have introductions by various different luminaries which is quite nice um, they're very inconsistent a- with the representations of the covers I mean the take Marvel comics off them all and obviously, it becomes Lucasfilm Presents instead of Stan Lee Presents. But on some of them, they even remove the issue numbers, which I didn't <laughs> understand. Don't know why they do that. And I didn't like the back covers. The, ve- the back covers of these are very condescending. Did you not know think? Still, oh, yeah. series launched in 77 was stranger and crazier than the last. And it's, it's just kind of, you know, it was yeah. far, far out. Yeah, we had some uh, on
0: that when when they first started that reprint series we even commented on that the yeah. fact that the 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 back cover blurb for the very first one is extremely condescending it's basically like ah hey, here's some old here's here's how shitty Mar- you know star wars comics used to be before we got our hands on it yeah, like, have a no, good laugh this is, yeah this yeah. is the stuff i grew up on you know have a i mean I, I don't laugh. think it exactly yeah I, yeah I didn't like that
3: no, let's. Let, here's, here's some shitty old comments from the '70s that we're going to charge you forty dollars to pay for. Right? Aren't <laughs> they goofy? Yeah. Thanks, Kaching.
0: <laughs> you know, with the mention of uh, of Randy Stradley's name, you just you just reminded me that I was extremely remiss in between the two months because I was supposed to be trying to get him on the show, and I have not yet even sent the first uh, message out. I've got to do that because I really do want to try to get him on the show. Um. I was, uh, as a matter of fact, I just started getting caught up on the uh, the Star Wars um, Dark Times series that's out right now. He is the writer on that, and it's uh, it's oh, man, that's some really good stuff. Good, good stuff. I've got uh, I've got some notes on this one. Let's see here, what have I got that hasn't been covered yet? Um, I thought Santor, um, if you know, if he was still alive, I thought that uh, Julie Schwartz could play Santor because yeah. he looks yeah. like, just like him. Um, Santor had a uh, a little thing here. Let me see if I can find it real quick. On page nine, I thought this was really cool. Um, he asked Luke, he says, uh, speaking of power sources, he says, uh, Luke, I couldn't help but notice. Is that a lightsaber at, at your hip? And uh, Luke says, yes. He's, he says he's a Jedi Knight, the last of them, I'm afraid. And Santor says, yes, many of the great Jedi heroes were born here on Shocking, I guess the name of the planet is. He says, the betrayal and extermination of their order was one of the Empire's saddest crimes. And uh, I just thought that fit rather well with the whole... you know, the
1: prequels, w- yeah. W- w-
0: what we yeah.
3: now know. I, I,
0: you know, I always like well. it
2: when you...
3: Yeah. I
2: like um, it when did you just
3: tie in. Did you not think that word balloon, though, the lettering looked different?
0: It does, actually, now that you say it.: And that. I'm wondering if,
3: if Lucasfilm changed the original wording. <laughs> Very likely. Oh, Very that's...
0: possible. Um, On that same page, two panels later, uh, this guy comes running in and uh, Santor says, What's wrong, my boy? Is, so, uh, is something amiss at the ruins? And the guy says, The three aliens, they descended alone, and a third followed. This dude can't count for <laughs> shit. <laughs> if the three's already there and one more comes along, dude, that's not a third person. That's a fourth yeah. person. Um, mm-hmm. I agree with you about pages 13 and I would add 14. I like the little lightsaber sequence with uh, with Luke defeating yeah. the, uh, the guardian machine. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, okay, here's another like, huh? Moment in this book. Page 17, Santor gets down on his hands and knees to play marbles to explain how the doomsday machine works, <laughs> and he says, and this in my hands is the remains of our own shotgun. Picture it, blasted into motion by the force of its destruction and its fire explosion, uh, or excuse me, and the fu- explosion of its fiery core traveling through hyperspace at sublight speeds. And he goes on and on and on. I'm sure that this is all intended to, to sound like really impressive techno babble. I just want to pick one part of it out traveling through hyperspace at sublight speeds huh that doesn't make any any sense at all what? what the hell are you talking about and nobody calls him out on it you know it just
1: that that makes no sense at all <laughs> they're like oh yeah he talks about that shit all the time he's been watching too much youtube you just forget about him Mm, that that sub- would
0: be like you saying I'm, I was flying down the interstate doing 90 miles an hour while I was doing 40. It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense, dude. And that's exactly what this dude is. Uh, it's just ridiculous. <laughs>
2: um.
0: By the way, and this is probably my biggest and most important note for this issue. Um. I paid a lot of attention. I felt to this plan, and I'm not a you know astrophysicist or anything by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm just gonna go out on a limb here and say that I'm. Pr- pretty sure that this guy is full of shit. There's no way that planets act like marbles. For one thing, planets are not all the same size, so there's no way that Earth is going to plow into Jupiter and send it spinning off into space to plow into another planet. just ain't going to happen. So, you know, (laughs) this is the stupidest plot device I've ever heard. With all apologies to Joe Duffy, who I really like. It's just... Uh, this was really a bad plot. I
2: just. Yeah.
0: And why the hell does Santor, his whole world and his people, all remind me out of something out of, out of an old Gold Key Star, Star Trek? Star Trek. Trek,
1: Gold Key Star Trek. Yes, exactly. Yeah,
3: one of my notes is this is a Star Trek story, but yes. not a yes. particularly good one.
1: <laughs> exactly, Gold, Gold Key Star Trek. Yeah,
0: mm. all the way, except with better art. I like the characterizations, you know, and, and for the most part, the art is really, except, you know, I, I did think that some of the figures, they, they often looked a little, like, compact, like a little bit squat, but, you know, for the most part, I thought it was good, and, but the story is just, it's, it's, it's kind of stupid, and it's easily, it's too easily resolved, and it feels like a, like an issue of, like, Star Wars Super Stories or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs>
3: Well, do you know why this was held back so much? I mean, I know there was the thing that Anna Shenty came in as editor and started using the, the fill-in box. But there's two issues in this that are written by Joe Duffy and drawn by Bob McLeod, which are the regular creative team at this point, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So why were those two sandwich... Oh, one of them was written by Roy Richardson, sorry, but Tom Palmer still inked it. Why? Why did they swap them around then? Hmm.
2: Yeah, you I don't, got me I don't
3: understand. I, don't, I mean, would it not have been better to insert the the filling issues after this one?
1: I'll bet you they were. I'll bet you it was all. It was all their hands were forced by deadlines and stuff. And I'll bet you maybe right. maybe since Tom Palmer did this one alone, it took him longer to do it than. Than uh, usual, or something,
3: or yeah, I was thinking the other way around. Tom Palmer may have done this on one on his own, so they didn't have to do
1: pencils and inks. That's very possible too, to save. That time. could be too. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Up From what dead. I've
0: read about the situation, the the reason that it has this this very awkward, you know, on again off again feel with the storyline and the constant interruptions with these lackluster filler issues. Is because that was just, that was Anna Senti's thing as editor, was that she wanted to keep the book or get the book on time and keep it on time. And if that meant pulling out like every unused story, no matter how good or bad it might be, just to use them as filler, just to get the book back on an even keel, then that's what she did. And, you know, I mean, she can be applauded for that, but at the same rate, it it does give the ongoing narrative a, a very disjointed feel. Yeah. Cause up to yeah. this point, you know, in that interim between Empire and Jedi, they That's had a continuing Yeah, it did. And it had a continuing storyline that, you know, it was occasionally interrupted, but for the most part, it followed a continua, you know, continuing story and a continuing narrative that was very compelling. And this one probably could have been I don't think it was quite on par with that, but it could have been more compelling than it was, but it was the constant interruptions that I think really hurt it at this point. Because then you start to feel like, you know, whether whether issues are actually tied into the whole diplomatic mission thing or not, they, a lot of them feel like they are. And so it, it starts to feel like that storyline is just padded out and formulaic after like the, you know, fourth or fifth issue.
3: Mm. And it's a shame because it does feel like once he kicked off the new, story art when Cynthia Martin comes on board as a penciler and I really liked her stuff as a kid Mm because I I liked that it was different than what was going on before and then that just stops abruptly Mm -hmm. and it's like they were just getting underway with another big storyline and they had the book cancelled from under them and it's a shame that it really is because it's one of it's another one of those classic
0: stories of something where, you know, they they'd finally started to to head in a positive direction and it really looked like they were going places. And then, you know, somebody pulled the plug and it, it really is a shame because I feel the same way. I feel like they we're getting into that period. And I, I really hate to say this, but it is true. We're getting into that period where they're going to start treading water and we're getting, unfortunately, we're going to get some issues like this that are just kind of like, meh, you know.
3: But, it's the next four or five issues, and then once 95 onwards, when they right. kick off the Dark Lady storyline, right. it really does kick up a gear. Yeah, and there's a so. brilliant issue, and it's a fill-in, but there's a brilliant issue coming up by Archie Goodwin and Al Williamson. Um, God, it's a—it's re- near issue 100. And
0: a, is that the one with Han Solo on the cover by yeah. Uh, Sienkiewicz? Sienkiewicz? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that
3: was really good. It's a filler, but it's a good one. And they do feel like they're just... It started to pick up pace again. And but yeah. at the moment, we are kind of just
1: spinning our heels, spinning our wheels.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's in sort Which of is... sitcom mode, you know or, or that that American 80s, 70s, and 80s weekly drama mode where they have a where they're sort of following a little bit of a template, you know, get the characters and put them in the template a little bit. Yeah, let's
3: send Luke off on a diplomatic mission. Let's send Leia off on a diplomatic mission. Let's send Han off to get into trouble.
1: Yep, this is a volcano world. This is a forest world. Yep. Right.
3: And it's a shame because the last issue showed you can do good one-issue character-driven stories.
0: Oh, hell yeah. Oh yeah. But, you know, I, at the same rate, I don't want to pick too much on Joe Duffy because, you know, no, I mean, everybody she, she has their clunkers. No, she was under
3: very stringent circumstances. Yeah, she had a tough, yeah. tough, yeah. Have you read that issue of Back Issue magazine? Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. and so, you know, it's hard to fault her for this.
0: As a matter of fact, every every couple of months I'll I'll pick that out and reread it again just to kind of refamiliarize myself with each with each new era that we get to in, in the Star Wars you know Marvel Star Wars, I'll reread that just to kind of refresh myself with, you know, okay, where were they at and what were they covering in that article? Mm. Uh, it, it it really does lend, it, it is, it really is, and it lends a lot of insight into why, you know, some of the stories play the way that they do. Because I remember being frustrated with some of this stuff as a kid, you know. Because and, and we're going to see that reflected in the letters pages. The letter pa- letters pages are going to start to be more and more oh, infrequent.
2: Yeah, yeah because yeah.
0: they were they were they became they became largely negative, and so we're going to see them start to fall by the wayside because they didn't have positive letters. <laughs> to print. Because every every letter was the same thing. Why aren't you doing anything with Han and, and Leia? Why aren't you doing anything with? You know, Luke and Leia's relationship as brother and sister. Why aren't you talking about Vader being their father? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And I often wonder why didn't Marvel just come clean? Why didn't they just spill it out in the letters page? Look, we can't. They probably couldn't.
1: They probably, it would probably not, it wouldn't have helped their relationship with Lucas, probably. I, yeah, I
0: guess, but they did do that with other books, though. When there were other books that bitched and complained about, um, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? They didn't have a problem in those books ratting out the license, you know, the company they were licensed from, mm. and saying, "Well, look, they're not letting us do that." So I don't know why it might may,
1: maybe it's a lot more cap maybe a lot more cash involved with the yeah. Lucasfilm properties, you know? Yeah. Well, I I bailed out on reading
3: Star Wars around issue eighty two. I think issue eighty two was the last one I read. And I didn't—I distinctly remember—I didn't pick another one up till '94, and I picked that up because I saw—I always flicked through it,
2: mm-hmm. and when I
3: saw that the artwork looked really substantially different, I picked it up again and is I followed the first, it then through to the end. Is that I think the first, it's the Cynthia, first Martin? Cynthia
1: Martin one? Yeah, it yeah. could be.
0: I'm really looking forward to getting to that era because I'm wondering what I'm going to think Me of too. it now. Me too. Yeah, because I
1: really liked it then.
0: I loved it when I was a kid, but I have a very long-standing prejudice against Japanimation and that whole art style. So I don't know how I'll feel about it today. I expect I'll probably still love it just because it's something I loved when I was a kid. But we'll we'll see when we get there. Yeah. yeah. But you know, off the top of my head, you know, I, again, you know, keeping in mind, I have not picked it. You know, I haven't taken it back out and reread it in years and years and years. But if I if I was hard pressed to pick my single favorite issue of marvel star wars it would be 96 so i'm really looking forward to it when we get there does it stand the test of time do i will i still love it like i did when i was a kid because that's a phenomenal issue or at least my my memory <laughs> i was just it. gonna say at least mm, you know, think it is <laughs> i think it is and you know sometimes that plays out well and sometimes it's you know it can it can be very disheartening and so we'll sometimes find out it goes the
1: opposite way
0: yeah a couple quick other things on this one um and I apologize to Andy because I know he's got the trade, but there's some really good ads in this That's one. That's where I was
1: going to say, all I got left are ads. Yeah. But what there's you, some what you good see? ones. Well, there's the last Starfighter on last the inside cover. That's- yep.
3: oh, 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 I remember that one. That's awesome. It's, the, it's got a really long blurb down the left-hand side, does not it? Yep. yep. And it's uh, uh, him and Catherine Murray Stewart just looking up in the stars. Yep. Is Alex I, is a small-town
0: teenager with big-time t- uh, big dreams, dreams of college, of success, of marrying his girlfriend Maggie. He's just like everyone else, except Alex has a special talent that no one on Earth can appreciate. But tonight, a mysterious stranger has called on Alex. He's come from a galaxy that's under attack by an alien force. And Alex's unique ability is their last hope. You know, I bet you Scotty would love that movie. I don't think he's ever seen it. Oh, it's a great movie.
3: Yeah, I I love The Last uh, Fighter. It's a brilliant film.
0: I'm going to throw it out there that this is going to be a future co- uh, Commentary Monthly Monday. Because oh,
3: okay.
0: I it but I love I'm, this I'm all, I'm all
1: up for that.
0: And damn, uh, Craig uh, Craig Saffin's score for that, or at least the, the opening theme... The opening awesome theme's awesome. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. There's a couple of good tracks on his soundtrack for that, but like most of the time, that's one of those that themes really good. And then mm-hmm. all he does for the rest of it really is slow that down or speed it up. <laughs> right, right,
2: yeah. <laughs> <he does. laughs>
0: Very much so. Um,
3: well, it's yeah.
0: funny. it's A, a while back, uh, Michael Bailey was lobbying me to use that as the theme for Infinity Inc. on uh, on Tales of the JSA. And I kind of kept going back and forth on it. And then finally, I had to come clean to him that the only reason I didn't want to use it is I was holding it in reserve to be the theme for ROM if I ever get around to doing <laughs> my ROM <laughs> podcast. I used, I used
3: that soundtrack <laughs> for one of our Secret Wars episodes. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's it's a it's an enjoyable soundtrack.
1: It is. Uh, no, another good ad, slightly disturbing, is the Fig Newtons ad with the little kid <laughs> with the bizarre bloated head holding up. But it, it with, he looks like one of my kids. Your kids don't have hydrocephal. Yes, they do. They
0: have ginormous heads. Just Not ask like my the, wife.
1: This kid's a little bit disturbing, <laughs> though. And, oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> hey, that was. <laughs> That was pretty gross. My kids looked like stick figures with
0: bowling balls on their heads, foreheads.
1: Well, when you got when you got three mail-in proof of purchases from Fig Newtons, you got a copy of Marvel Tales reprint of Spider Spider Man Number One, Amazing Fantasy Fifteen. Well, is it was that? Oh, that's right. It was, and then they did Spider Man Number One after that, and they and they uh, Marvel Tales. I remember when this happened because I bought all these because it was. A great chance to read all the Ditko stuff, because they just ran Spider-Man from the beginning. So you could, so that 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 was a neat ad. You know, you got your requisite Army Men, and
0: you know, the first comic convention I ever went to was a costume contest. I went dressed as Longshot, and you know, make all the jokes you want to, but I okay. did. And the winner of the costume contest was a little kid that had a very clever outfit. But I always felt like the rules should have excluded if if you didn't make the costume yourself, you should have been excluded. Bitter. Obviously his mom made it for him. Bitter. But he he went yeah, I was. He went as the um Supreme Intelligence. And won and the grand prize was a near mint copy of Amazing Fantasy Number Fifteen. Oh,
1: good lord!
0: And I know it's okay, very no petty wonder you're and, bitter. <laughs> yeah, well, I I know it's very petty and probably very evil of me to say so, but I've always wished that that kid didn't make it home alive. Yeah, it died in a fire.
1: So. Yeah, he probably he probably got home and cut out all his favorite pictures from yeah, him and exactly. hung them up on the wall. Yes.
0: Well, I remember as they handed him the thing, I remember them basically reading him the Riot Act and really trying to stress to this kid that, you know, look, you know, you you you, you
1: don't really want to take this out of the bag, okay? if I was a you know, kid, I would have pulled wanna, it like... I would have pulled it out of the bag, folded it in half, and put it in my back pocket and oh, take suckers right. and walked out the door. Even yeah, well, though that's like half of the fanboys just have a heart attack exactly, and die. Right? Exactly, yeah. exactly, just crumple up and die and just...
0: What a world. What a
1: world. (laughs) It would have been worth it just for that. You're a bastard. Yes, I am. (laughs) A funny bastard, but a bastard nonetheless. The the funny parts of survival mechanism. Anyway, (laughs) I just (laughs) want to gloat about the fact that
0: on this page where it says four more triumphs from Marvel, I do believe that each of those is represented in this household. Just got to say it.
3: What are the
0: issues? We got a uh, Uncanny X Men number. See the the inking is really bad. It's on like one eighty. One eighty. Paul Smith, core? I think yeah, it is a Paul. I... Well, it's either Paul Smith or Jr. Jr. I'm not sure. One of the two, but it's the one that says Rogue, Public Enemy, and she's holding. Uh,
1: it's Paul, the... Smith, yeah, it's Paul Smith. Yeah, I think yeah, it is a the good
0: mo- one. That mohawk-haired uh, Storm on the cover. You got Power Pack number. Two. two, I oh, think. it I is I
3: loved early Power Pack.
0: I don't have Louis. this uh, actually. I, I was looking at these, going, hmm, I wonder if I have all these issues. But Logan, I know, has like the first dozen issues uh, of Power Pack when I bought.
3: Louise Simonson and June Brigman were doing that. I think it was the first year or two years. That was a fantastic comic.
0: See, he likes the revival. There was a recent revival of the, of the Power Pack that has a very anime art style to it, and he loves that stuff. So I got him. Are they all uh, still
3: the same age. I think so,
0: yeah, maybe a little bit older, and according to Logan, they must have changed the characters around a bit, because he didn't like the classic stuff as much, because he said that they had swapped powers and things, so I don't know, some sort of...
3: I think in an issue I read, one of the Louise Simonson ones I read, I'm sure they did something where two of them swapped powers, yeah, so that may be going back a bit.
0: Got uh, Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man number, I think this is 80. It's either 83 or 93, it's and it's 93. There. the answer is holding uh, a bomb, no. and he's dangling Black Cat over a building. Yeah, as- that's
3: just after Bill Mantelow left, and Al yeah. Milgram over his writer, and the book stank. It was <laughs> awesome when Bill Mantelow was doing it. And Al, Gr- Al Milgram just made it stink up the room. And it was doubly notable because Roger Stern left Amazing at roughly the same time.
2: Right, And yeah. suddenly
3: Amazing at least had Tom DeFalco on it. So mm-hmm. at least that maintained a certain level of quality. But Peter Parker just stank the room up until Peter David took over.
0: <laughs> then you got uh, issue one of a four-issue limited series, The West Coast Avengers. And oh! I don't... I don't know if the feed is still up or not. I, I need to find out for sure, but uh, back when Will Sanchez had his uh, Avengers Assemble podcast, we did a special episode that that covered that miniseries. I was a guest on there and uh, Yeah, I, I had never
3: read it and it was that's
0: really some good, really fun, good. old comics. Yeah, it is. Yep. It's a lot of fun.
3: Yep. Was that oh, is this the first series that's not Roger Stern, is it? Avengers. West I think Coast. it is. No, I think is it, it is
0: Roger. Yeah, I think it is.
3: Yeah, that, that's it. Is really good. I liked Avengers West Coast for the most part. The Burn stuff's great.
0: I have an entire run of that. I've only read. I think. I think I've only read the Burn stuff. Actually, one of these days, I need to read the whole thing. I bought it for a song off of eBay, and once again, just threw it in a box and haven't looked at it since. Right. What else did you see for ads, Chris? Oh, there's a
1: big one on the back cover. Well, there's a well, there's a John Burn, a nice little John Burn yep. ad. Uh, then you get the Muppet takes. Muppets Take Manhattan on the inside cover, but then, yeah, on the back cover, you've got Star Wars the arcade game comes home on a crappy Atari game.
0: Yep. I was just <laughs> going to say, and it sucked balls because that was a great game in the arcade. Yeah, and it was a shit game at home.
3: Is that the one that's in downtown Disney? The one that's all three films in one game? No.
0: no. Oh, I wish awesome game yeah that this was way before that this was this was the one that was basically it was just the trench run from star wars you, you, oh, but it, it was yeah. in vector graphics
1: yeah, you, yeah you, I, I you, know. you had three three basic play modes you had fighting Tie fighters and you had flying along the surface and shooting towers and then you had the trench yeah and yep. uh and it, was, and it had some of the first sampling, audio sampling yeah. in, the, in the video game, and there's just no way they were going to translate that into a crappy Atari game and have the <laughs> gameplay be any good, and they didn't. It was terrible. It was, it was almost impossible to play.
2: Yeah, because in um, Downtown
3: Disney, I went on the Star Wars game in the arcade thing. Um, if you're going, just a little top tip, people, if you're going to Disney and it's part of your tickets, then it's worth going in. It's really not worth an $80 entrance fee. Yes. Which, which
0: did you do? Did you do the, the, the tacked on, the, the water park fun and more thing? Is that what you did?
3: Uh, the, I think the tickets that we buy over here aren't available anywhere else. They're specifically designed for over here. Oh, it's the here. ultimate ticket, right? Yeah, the ultimate yeah. ticket. And so we did go in the arcade, and the Star Wars game is excellent, but it's it's $80 Where was it? entrance fee. Yeah. Oh, no, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I thoroughly enjoyed the Star Wars uh, game.
0: No, where did you find it? Cuz see, I was at Disney Quest this a couple months ago and I couldn't find it. I was I was it's... actually upset that it was gone.
3: It's oh god, it's on the floor. It's either right above the the snack bar canteen thing or it's on the same level. It was round the corner, buried in a little dark alcove.
0: Oh, see, I I must have just walked right by it and missed it. Because, see, I I took the kids there, and I had a couple hours to play before I had to go to work or something. Something was going on where they could play all day, but I had to go somewhere. And so I went, and I thought, well, you know, I'll spend my time wisely. I'll play Star Wars, because I can play all the way through (laughs) that game and I couldn't find it and I was devastated and then every other game that I went to try to play was broken it was like they had both of the Tron games they were both broken there was some other game Punisher or something I wanted to play that, and that didn't work I was I was kind of upset about that because I only get one free admission in there a year and I I spent it and then I didn't get to play Star Wars I was like crap it and was just around the corner from the, corner from the,
3: the virtual <laughs> reality thing
0: oh okay All top
3: right. floor Angela's telling me it was on the top floor Ah, uh,
0: Oh, well. I'll try to get in there again sometime soon, if I can. Well, that's all I got. Well, wait, no, I'm sorry. I got one other thing on this. Did you have anything else, Chris?
1: No. Um, no, I'm pretty much, I think I got my fill of uh, Star Wars 87.
0: <laughs> the letter column, uh, several people recognize Lando's disguise from way on back, like, what was that like over a dozen issues back where Lando had the the Captain Drebble disguise? They recognized his disguise as Captain Harlock and uh applauded Marvel for it. One reader, I got a kick out of this one, asked when we'll be seeing Senator Grayshade and the Master Com again from the wheel storyline. Uh-huh. And uh I wish they'd just come clean and said, um, never. Uh-huh. <laughs> they they were like, well, you know, wait and see, kind of thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, keep almost... buying those
1: Star Wars comics. Maybe yeah, you'll you see them again.
0: <laughs> um, and then somebody else pointed out that uh, that they liked the Lando chewie team um, a lot better than they did the Han and Chewy team. And, you know, I gave that some thought, and I don't know. I, I could kind of be persuaded that way too. I came to really like the, the Lando Chewy team, in, at least in the comics anyway. I was, yeah, I, was I,
3: like, I like Lando and Chewy.
0: See, I know that Chris is a big Han and Chewie fan, so well, I wonder no, where.
1: No, Chris I mean, from. I, I, the, the, I, I think my thoughts on that were, it, it, there's a a little better energy with, um, Lando and Chewie because Lando can be more of a scoundrel now, so you mm-hmm. have more of the, you have more, it's more of the old school ha- like Star Wars Han and Chewie, vibe, than the matured Han, vibe, right. you know. It, it, Lando can, Lando still can be a swindler and a scoundrel more than Han now. So, so it, it plays up that dynamic better. So I can totally see that. Cool.
0: Well, do we want to go right on to uh, number 88? Oh, I yep. think we should. All right. Well, I got the synopsis for this one. We got uh, Star Wars number 88. This is the October 1984 issue. Again, a uh, 60 cent um, cover price on this one. A really nice cover on this by uh bob mcleod it shows princess leia and she's uh, just narrowly avoiding getting uh laser blasted by this uh what we're going to call the dark lady and it, the cover script says darth vader is dead long live the new dark lord and uh you know i really like this cover and i, I think it just might be the best thing about this cover all right about this issue rather um Except maybe for one element, which uh, you know, I'll, I'll get into in the notes section of this one. So we got a script and plot by Joe Duffy. Uh, again, Bob McCloud does the pencils, and I'm thinking that these are very loose pencils. That's just a guess, but that's just kind of the impression I get from from the art on this one. Tom Palmer on the inks. We got Rick Parker, the uh, spectacular letterer man. Jay Feritter, colorist. I I don't think I've ever heard this name before. Uh, Anne Nesenti is the uh, editor. Jim Shooter, chief. The story is entitled Figurehead. I'm just going to do the broad strokes on this one, folks. Um, I think you'll figure out pretty quickly why. Princess Leia and Mon Mothma visit more primitive screwheads to ask them to join the United Federation of Planets or whatever the hell they're calling themselves post-Return of the Jedi. Leia is smacked in the face with a ball of mud. Or is it? (laughs) Is it? And the mysterious dark lady assigned by the locals to protect her. Uh, now, I don't know how to pronounce this. I, I've i always said Lumaya. I believe I was corrected by Joe Duffy herself at a convention I met her at that it's actually Lumia. But I don't know. Long standing habits just are hard to kick. I want to call her Lumaya. So, anyway, she's the new dark lady. And she. Uh, personally uh, sets out to find the perpetrator that that threw this muck at at Princess Leia. So there's a whole lot of talking in this issue, and even Leia gets bored with it, so she wanders off to have some alone time, and she stumbles across Lomaya, disciplining one of the natives, and to make a long and not particularly compelling story short, gets swept up in a planetary class struggle of rich versus poor. After carefully examining all the angles and sides of the story uh, for around maybe a page and a half at most, she decides to fight for the rebels. All right. Now, I realize that she herself was a rebel fighting for a good cause of, you know, trying to overthrow an oppressive dictatorship. But come on! She knows jack all about these goddamn people or their politics or their struggle or their tactics. It's very Star
1: Trek like she's doing a Kirk.
0: Uh, no, at least Kirk gets the facts before he jumps. Or I, I, at least I like to think so. These guys could be totally despicable terrorist assholes for all she knows, but she takes up arms with them, with like no thought or hesitation at all. And it, it just that was the straw for me in this story. Anyway, she helps these rebels overthrow the government, and she wounds Lamia, who turns out to be an imperial agent. And then she sets off with Mon Mothma at the end of the issue to rejoin the Alliance and warn them that the remnants of the Empire are on the move. And I've probably made this story sound a whole hell of a lot more exciting in that brief synopsis than it actually really was. Next issue, (laughs) I'll see you in the throne room. So what did
1: you guys think of uh, Star Wars number 88? It's my favorite issue of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the hell it is. The hell it is.
3: <laughs>
1: I like seeing Leia get shot in the face by a Juice. There's a lot of people getting shot in the face in this. I I there's there's another there. Well, there's a what page is it? It's uh, is it numbered? It's page twelve. There's a there's a guy and and once again these the like the the army of this this planet look like people from a Whitman yes a Star Trek comic. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But uh,
0: I, yeah, I had the same note. Why does every planet they visit in this new diplomatic mission agenda look like something out of a Shakespeare play? I, I just don't get that at all. I mean, they're all primitive screwheads. I mean, where are the gleaming towers and the the sci-fi futuristic cities that are supposed to populate these worlds? And instead, we're getting, you know, it, it's like that that. You know that planet that they visit where where Scotty knifes somebody to death in you know in the old Star Trek issues, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, Star War uh, Star Trek series.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with you. And your synopsis, it's like she decides that just because they're rebelling, they're obviously the good guys. Hmm. Okay. Fair enough. I'll go with that, Princess Leia. Three uh, POs a real jerk in this story. Oh my god. <laughs> where Lumiere announces that uh, we're going to start killing the prisoners in two minutes. So, by default, Leia's been proven to be right. And he says, oh, 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 dear me. I do hope she means organic prisoners and not mechanical ones. Well, you <laughs> yeah, can't fuck kill you, Leia. a mechanical thing. Second, yeah, screw you lot. I don't care if it kills human beings. What do I care about that? I'm a robot.
1: Well, lately they've been having C-3PO shedding tears and feeling feelings for other robots and stuff. You know, and he's always, you know, he's shown his loyalty to, and so all of a sudden now he's cowardice to the point of like, jeez, I hope they blast Princess Leia before they blast me.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's just,
1: you know, I hate anthropomorphizing C-3PO. There were a couple, and I and I wish I would have, like, maybe written them down, but really, in this comic, what's the point? But there, you know, there were, like Scott pointed out, there's, there's a bunch of uh, things that Leia does that are just not quite right character-wise. I think that's where the. the I, I mean, like I, I, I do agree that the art does look like it might have been a little more sketched out, but the, but the art still is pretty nice. It's still that See, level
0: I, of. I, I, I gotta take exception because my very first note was what happened to the art. Now I don't mean that as any kind of dig. I I, I honestly think after talking to Bob McLeod himself last episode, I, I really th- feel justified in, in, in the guess that I think his heart just wasn't in this issue. I think he as much as said so himself in, in that episode. And I think you can tell in this issue, this just isn't.
1: It's got a little um, Klaus Janssen to it, but I'm well, not a, compare it, averse well, to that, you know, really.
3: Well, compare it to issue 83, where Bob McLeod did the right. full art, right? and right. compare the two side by side. There is very little Bob McLeod in this. The yes. two-page spread, where everyone gets shot, some of the faces do look very mcleod
2: yeah. But
3: other than that, it this is Tom Palmer all the way. And I love Tom Palmer, I really do, but he's a very heavy inker. And I think when Cynthia Martin comes on board, the best thing they do for her as an artist is Tom Palmer leaves. Right. Because I think Cynthia Martin under Tom Palmer's inks wouldn't have been ha- as interesting. And that's not cool. dissing Tom Palmer. But even Salbusema, when Salbusema does an issue a couple of issues down the line, it looks nothing like Salbusema.
0: Right. I remember that. Yeah. Who who does ink and I know he inks her very first issue, but beyond that he he after that he's gone. Who does ink her? Do you remember?
3: Um in my trade her first inker is Tom Palmer in issue 94. Right. And the art looks really wonky. And but after that the, the following issue, she's inked by Steve Lealoa
1: and it looks ah a lot yes, that's right, well, yes. And yes. he's but and he's the kind of guy he can do a really heavy ink, but he can also do a very light, precise ink. And I think that's what happened with Star Wars. Is it? Yeah, the light. Well, there's nothing wrong with a
3: with a heavy inker. If the two styles complement each other, Te- uh, Burn has said about Terry Austin, as we'll see in the next issue, we're going to cover mm-hmm. that there's an awful lot of Austin in what in Burn's pencils, but the two together work wonders. I just don't think Tom Palmer sometimes suits the pencils that he's worked. He worked wonders over Walt Simonson. I don't think he he works as and well with Bob McLeod.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, I I will agree. Yeah, I, I think I, you know, again, I don't want to put words in the guy's mouth, but I think that uh that Bob McCloud was, was being very diplomatic about some of the things that he said yeah. about uh about Palmer's inking on on his work. But uh I, I would agree that I love I love Tom Palmer. I really do. I think he's a phenomenal inker. But I look at this issue and if there hadn't been credits on if somebody just handed this to me without credits. I would have been hard pressed to figure out who the penciler was on this. I think some of the faces, as you say, the, some of the faces may have given it away, but it had taken me a while to figure it out. And I, I, I can't help but feel that when that is the case, that I don't think that speaks highly of the inker. I hate to say it, but you know, it, it means that they're they're overpowering the penciler. Now, the only thing I can think is that maybe this was very lightly laid out you know i mean he's credited as penciler but maybe he was more of just doing you know loose layouts mm. i really don't well know. he did
3: he did mention that in your interview with him and if you look at his next issue which is issue 90 he is only credited as breakdowns right and then after that i think he's off the book
0: yeah he is and
3: you know he had said himself that after
0: 86 the, the main reason he left the book was that he just didn't feel like the script's were up to par with it, which they're not. I mean, that's a, that's a standout issue of this run. So, you know, by, you know, taking him at his word or what he said in the interview we had with him, I, I think that, you know, this is a, an example of exactly what he was talking about. His heart just wasn't in it after 86. And I, I mm. think that sadly it's reflected in the art in this issue. Cause let's face it, this story kind of sucks.
3: Yeah. Uh, again, it's not terrible. It's not, you know, you don't want to chuck it across the room in disgust after reading it. <laughs> but it's just not great.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, I love Joe Duffy. I really do. This this ain't one of her best stories, sad to say. No, oh,
3: and like, we do keep giving her benefit of the doubt, don't we? Because we know now, thanks to that article, that the, she was handcuffed a lot with what she right. wanted to do. I mean, I suppose under the circumstances, she's telling as good a story as she can.
0: Right. I think so. Um, Let's see. I had a couple things on this. Uh, Right at the beginning of the story, Leia, um, baby puke green just isn't your color, girl. (laughs) Um, Page three, it's got to be said, that's not
2: mud. Ew. Um,
0: first mention of the uh, alliance of free planets which i think it bears pointing out is just a little too close to united federation of planets in in my opinion but maybe that's what are just they
3: called in, in Timothy Zahn's trilogy i'm
0: Ooh. trying to
2: remember
0: uh, yeah you know i don't i god i just reread that too yeah um, so did i aren't isn't it the new republic
3: yeah, something it says something just like the new Republic. I thought it was something like alliance of planets or something maybe I was yeah,
0: gonna maybe may, may no you could be right I, I, I isn't that terrible I just reread those and I can't remember either
3: I reread all three of them as well and I can't remember either so
0: um but definitely the biggest note on this one for me anyway is uh the introduction of Lumaya you know with all apologies to Bob McLeod, I, I'm I'm not crazy about her initial look it, you know, I mean it, it's It's cool. It's okay. It's a little too, like, Golden Age Catwoman for me, but it it will get much better after a couple of refinements, as we'll see. But, uh, you know, despite a pretty uh, inauspicious debut here, she returns, and uh, I think she proves herself to be both a, a truly awesome villain, but she's a totally badass villain when she comes back again. I mean, she's able to hold her own with Luke Skywalker you know yeah she's she's and, really good uh, and she's harboring a big secret which i'm not gonna say anything more about just stay tuned because we will definitely be discussing this character uh, much more in the future when uh when all stands revealed about her and uh she's a man I it's- <laughs> baby <laughs> <laughs> i think uh it's very interesting that the next time that we see her will be in issue 95, and that's a story called No Zeltrons. And I'm wondering <sighs> if that title was intentionally ironic or not because that's a line that Leia delivers in this issue is No Zeltrons, and so I get a kick mm-hmm. out of that. I have no idea if that's a deliberate callback or not, but it's pretty cool one way or the other. You know, But if it weren't for the introduction of of lumaya in this i got to be honest i i think i would hate this issue it's just not a good story and and leia acting without proper knowledge of the full situation or you know any thought of the possible consequences of just jumping in you know leaping without looking i think it's just a glaring oversight uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't do her character justice at all, and it just, frankly, it's irritating. I mean, as soon as that happened in the story that that she took a, up arms with these people that she's known for like a page and a half, I was just
1: like, what "The hell are you doing?" I you think know, she felt know guilty what's... because they were going to get killed over her. Yeah, or but her still, I mean, she
0: has. I mean, just the fact that they're rebels doesn't necessarily imply that they're good. You know, like they're fighting for a just cause. I mean, they they could be, I mean, seriously, they could be like baby-killing terrorists. She has no idea their tactics or what they're even, I mean, she's presuming that they're fighting because they're, you know, they're they're these poor, starving, oppressed people, which it turns out that
1: that's the case. We're fighting for freedom. Uh, Yes, we've won our freedom. Freedom to eat babies. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean,
0: she doesn't know. Again, as you yourself said with that Luke Skywalker issue with, the, you know, with the, the Shakespeare planet there, he could have been setting up the next space Hitler. How does she know she's not doing the same thing she's setting up the next space Al-Qaeda? She has no idea what the hell these people are all about, yet she helps them overthrow their government. That just irritates the shit out of me. I, I, I would like to think that Princess Leia is smarter than that. She's young and impulsive. <laughs> no, that's her brother or was her brother. I don't know. It's you know. I'm reading much too much into this, I guess. But it just it to me it stood out as a glaring oversight of the basic premise of the story. I thought so anyway. I don't know. Am I wrong here? Give me an amen.
1: No, I like that. that no, it's crap. Glaring <laughs> oversight of the premise of the story sounds like a great c- quote for like the book cover or something. I just it like sounds that. like I actually know what the hell I'm talking I know. about. I
0: know it's amazing how I can bullshit you people like that.
3: <laughs> Years of practice.
0: Well, you know, it's when I got my first name tag for for Disney. You know, if you speak a second language or a third or fourth or whatever, how many languages you speak beyond your primary language, they actually let you put that underneath your name tag. And uh, and my, I remember getting my first name tag, and my wife said something to the effect of. I don't think they're going to let you have the tag that says bullshit as your second yeah. language, even though you speak it fluently.
1: <laughs> I could translate both ways with bullshit, too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Scott, Scott I- and
1: I spent many semesters at Carthage Central in bullshit class. It was most <laughs> of them, actually. <laughs> So what else we got on this the issue only thing I've got on this issue and once again the most awesome thing about this issue that made me go yes I love this opening uh, the front cover Buckaroo Banzai, <laughs> Buckaroo ad.
0: Banzai ad. Yes. <laughs> we have been requested to do a commentary for that one I don't think I've ever seen that movie start to finish that, that may
1: not either. be a commentary episode that may be a watch it and talk about it episode I'm thinking
0: I'd be up for <laughs> that I like Peter. I love that. I, I love, that. I love you, uh, that
1: movie, and I think I, it's a movie I loved when it came out. But it's also, vi- I haven't seen it since it came out. But I've seen clips from it, and it's very eighties stylized. So it'll be very interesting to see what you think. You know of the right of the failed uh, franchise, right?
0: Oh, I remember that movie being hyped to high heaven they, too.
1: Yeah, they, they they were hoping that was gonna take off like crazy and it was and it was too weird to take off, which is why I liked it. But it's it's certainly weird. It's got John Lithgow in it, so you can't really go wrong. Peter Weller. Yeah. Yeah. See I like me some Peter Weller,
0: so and
3: I like John Lithgow too, so
1: John Lithgow's playing I've the seen... bad
3: guy in it too, so I've not seen Buckaroo Banzai since it came out, but I remember really liking it. I just remember it was one of those that it was doomed simply because it had to be continued at the end of it. Like uh, they were expecting it to be popular enough to get a sequel, like the, the Doc Savage movie. I don't
0: think I've ever seen that.
3: That had to be continued at the end of it as well,
1: and that flopped big time. <laughs> oh, this one, this one announced the sequel. Yeah, the name, the name of the sequel. Of it, the yeah? sequel. Well, you know, come back for the next adventure, Buckaroo Banzai, and this, you know, Fighting Brigade meet the blah blah blah. And uh yeah, and it just never happened. But you know, they it's,
2: had a, hmm. well, didn't
3: they? Or did they just do an adaptation of the film?
1: Say
0: that again.
3: Did they have a comic book for it, or did, did they just do an adaptation of a film? I know there was, know. There was an adaptation.
0: Was there?
1: I'm okay, I remember sure there the was.
0: adaptation. Yeah, I don't remember if it was a continuing story, but I do remember the adaptation. I think I have it somewhere. I think
1: when they did, I think they did the adaptation, and when there was an actual Buckaroo Banzai comic, it was in the last decade or so. It was like somebody oh, okay going yeah, on yeah. the retro appeal of it, because yeah, during that time there was definitely not going to be a comic book because nobody cared. But a testament to it is, after all these years of seeing it once, I do remember. You know, just uh, the name of um, John Lithgow's character, Dr. Emilio Lizardo, yeah. has been burned into my Go- memory. Jeff Goldblum's brilliant mm-hmm. in it. That's right. Jeff, Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum is hysterical is in, it. in it.
0: Ooh, I do. I have both. I- it was a two-issue adaptation of the movie, which is not a good sign, by the way. But it was a two-issue limited miniseries. I don't know about the interior art, but looking strictly at the covers, both of the covers are by uh, Mark Texiera, and I love that guy's art. These are actually really beautiful covers. i have to uh, dig those out at some they're point point. see what the good interior comics. are.
1: I believe I yeah. have them somewhere. I might have the super special, maybe
0: if i remember properly and again it's only two issues so they could only put so much story of the movie in there if i remember properly i remember reading this and being completely friggin' lost not knowing what the hell was going on it's bizarre I, I it's it's yeah. it's
1: purposely bizarre you know yeah
0: Hmm. yeah we'll have to we'll have to get around to that one yes yeah, sir the only other thing i had there was a couple other uh ads in here i thought were cool in the uh it's not the inside back cover, but it's the page facing the inside back cover. we got a really nice John uh, yeah, John Byrne uh, Alpha Flight house ad, uh, subscriber ad that's really cool with Sasquatch holding... Uh,
1: copping a feel.
0: Yeah, he is. He's copping a feel on both of the babes of the team and then Puck's ducking around the corner there to copping make a Copping a feel
1: on Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's like he's coming out of his ass, actually. Yeah, actually. That's kind of gross. And then on the back cover, you got Dreadstar, which I don't think I've ever read any of, but I remember they hyped the hell out of Dreadstar. Was it, a, was it any good? Did you, ever, you guys ever read any Dreadstar?
1: All I remember Never is it, it was the story of all the people with little tiny heads, the opposite <laughs> of your kids. That's all I know. <laughs> and, and weird legs, weird disproportionate legs. That's all, Like legs that are too long for your, your body. That's all I remember about Dreadstar. Never read it. (laughs) Never a fan of... uh, I've never been a fan of his art. Jim Jim Starlin. (laughs) Jim Starlin?
2: Really? Yeah, never been a
1: fan. I think he draws heads too small and he draws, like, arms and legs disproportionate. You know, there's a lot of things that look like action figures with the wrong action figure head stuck on them, and it's very distracting to me. His backgrounds and spaceships and cities and and everything else looked really good, but it just right. yeah.
0: So I actually like Jim Starlin quite a little bit, but just by the very nature of like ninety percent of his stuff being Marvel cosmic means like ninety percent of his stuff is right off the table for me. Right. But uh, the only you know, thing what,
1: I ever read of his that I enjoyed was Death of Captain Marvel. Really,
0: yeah, that's a damn good book. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he also did the first, at least I think it's the the very first story um, that introduced um, Mongol. As a Superman villain, it was an issue with DC Comics presents. That's an excellent story. I think it's. I can't remember who the team up was. I think it's Supergirl, but it's a it's a story where Superman, you know, he goes to War World and all that, meets Mongol, and I'm pretty sure it's the the introduction of that character. And that that's some good stuff. I like that. I mean, I, I don't. I like the guy. I don't dislike him at all. It's just you know, like I say, so much of what he has always kind of his shtick really is is the Marvel cosmic stuff, and I just. By and large, I just don't give a rat's ass about any of that stuff. So, But anyway, what do you guys say? You want to take a little break and then wrap this up with
1: the further adventures of Indiana Jones? Number two, but that's not what my break's going to be. My break's going to be a number (laughs) one break.
0: TMI, my friend,
1: TMI. You're welcome.
2: Come on, Alex, they're here! Alex Rogan had a dream you really are leaving here aren't you
0: to be as far away from here as possible
2: you get your chance when it comes you gotta grab it with both hands
0: it started with a game
2: you gonna bust the record
0: but it wasn't just any game.
2: You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. And then, one night...
0: Centauri's the name. We have to talk about a matter of utmost importance. Step into my office. I've seen him come and I've seen him go, but you're the best, my boy. Light years ahead of the competition. Hey. Alex didn't find his dream.
2: Hey, look out! Oh, dear. where
0: are we welcome to rylos my boy
2: a world on the
1: brink of destruction
2: you were recruited by the starling to defend, to
1: defend the frontier against Zer and the kodan armada
0: of all the life forms on all the planets in all the galaxies
2: Oh, my God!
0: One has been chosen. Alex Rogan Alex? Alex? is the last starfighter Every earthling who's ever imagined traveling beyond
2: the stars. There is a starfighter left. I love you, Alex Rogan.
0: Comes the unforgettable story of one who made it. The last starfighter. Clouds of war gather ominously over Europe. The Great Depression grips the world, but one globe-trotting archaeologist, thirst for adventure and discovery, remains undaunted by his times. Stan Lee presents The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones number two. This is the February 1983 issue covered by John Byrne and Terry Austin, who uh, supply the uh, awesome interior art as well for this issue. The cover depicts Indiana Jones and he's uh, tied back to back with um, Edith Dunn and they're being lowered into a uh, pit of molten gold while the... uh, weird looking bird man priest guy is chanting something and you know the other people are you know one of them stirring the molten gold and another one you know another two of them are pushing the lid off of the thing um it's a pretty good cover it's not my favorite but it's a pretty good cover on this oh
1: really i love it
0: i i like it a lot i really like it yeah i think it's just a little too purple and i question that without his hat at this point in indiana jones life is he readily identifiable as a character from Raiders of the Lost Ark? Which would be the only thing people would know him from at this point. You know what I mean? Hmm. Uh, it's kind of like the brand, I think. You know, it's, it's I, the hat or the whip, and he doesn't have either on this cover. So, is it a good cover from a
1: you know get them to buy it standpoint? You know. Oh, a, a, well, a maybe that from a from a layout point of view, and from a, a you know, there might be too much purple, but I love. The gold pit—it looks like molten gold. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It looks like, reflect- and
3: especially seen as in, inside, he's wearing his hat.
0: Oh, the little box up there. Yeah, that's a good point. And he's holding his. Whip.
3: No, no. In the actual issue, in right. the issue, like, he, has he has his hat yeah. on. Yeah, he's got his hat on. Yeah, that's true. And it's—it's it's normally there is discrepancies between the cover and the interior art if it's a different artist doing the cover. But in this case, it isn't.
2: This is very. Unless
3: it. he just batched off a bunch of covers because he knew roughly what was going to be inside of them.
0: Well, I, I always had the impression that the uh, the covers to these were done well in advance of, of the of the finished story. You know what I mean? Maybe as yeah, like a selling point or something like that. But All right, so uh, let's see. This uh, issue is entitled 22 Carat Doom, and the credits on this one, I like the credits a lot. We've got Missouri O'Neill on the script. I'm presuming that's um, Denny O'Neill. Chicago Burn, Layouts, and uh, Layouts is hyphenated for some weird reason in this. Uh, Michigan, Austin, Inks, Jersey Sharon, Colors, Jersey also, Chiang, Chiang, I guess is how it would be pronounced, C-H-I-A-N-G, Chiang, on letters. Uh, Georgia Jones, Editor, and Pennsylvania Shooter is the Chief.
1: That sounds vaguely obscene or it sounds like an insult like like when you go down south and you're from the north and you got your good put that pennsylvania shooter away we got muskets Uh, down Sounds like that somebody
0: they would be looking for you know like he'd been out on the freeway taking pot shots at other cars or something (laughs) it's what it reminds
1: pennsylvania shooter has been on (laughs) the third wave of his
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) So when we last left our intrepid archaeologist hero, he was tied back to back with Edith Dunn dangling from a chain and being lowered into a pit of molten gold. And I think I just said that because that's what the cover shows. Anyway, as this issue begins, Indy remarks that he and Edith are in desperate need of a miracle. And they get one. Solomon Black's men attack the villagers, setting off explosives and rattling the temple. Indy's captors run outside to see what all the commotion is about, leaving Jones and Dunn alone in the chamber, still lowering into that vat of gold as the roof crumbles overhead and rains down on them. The vibrations set up a rocking motion of the chain, and Jones tells Dunn to help it along, so they pendulum back and forth like kids on a swing set until Indy is able to kick the release lever. The pair tumble to the floor just inches from the pit. They free themselves from the ropes and run outside, straight into the clutches of Solomon Black, who says that he has no further use for the pair now that he has been led to the icons and he orders them shot. One of Black's flunkies is about to comply when he receives a poisoned dart in the neck and drops dead. Andy wastes no time scooping up the dead man's pistol and, together with Black and his men, they fight their way through pissed-off natives all the way back to the beach. Once there, Black picks up right where they were so rudely interrupted, about to plug Jones and Edith. But Indy has a gun now, and while they stage the little Mexican standoff, he reveals to Black that he had a good look at the inscriptions on the icons and that they told of a second batch of golden statues. But Black will never find them without Indy's help. So Black reluctantly agrees. Back on board the ship, locked in their cabin, Indy, in classic Indiana Jones style, reveals to Edith that he was totally bluffing about the second stash of statues and that he and Dunn have to escape. The Thelma-like Edith suggests plying her feminine wiles, to which Indy responds, what feminine wiles? But when she changes to a clinging, revealing evening gown, Indy is suitably impressed. Edith baits the guard at the door to enter the cabin where Jones promptly dispatches him. Leaving Edith in the cabin, armed with the guard's gun, Jones sneaks to the radio room, takes out the operator, and begins to tap out a message when a pistol shot destroys the set. More of Black's men enter the room, disarm Edith, and Black, fed up, orders them to walk the plank. Jones, sighting a torpedo racing towards the ship, grabs Edith and runs the plank, dropping into the ocean just as the ship explodes and rapidly sinks. Indian and Edith cling to a floating crate containing one of the icons when they are picked up by the Germans, crate and all. After a month's sea voyage, Jones and Dunn are given a boat and told to row ashore just a kilometer off of New York. Eventually, Indy and Edith wind up at Idlewind Airport, where she intends to board a plane and fly home with her prize, the Icon, where an entire museum wing will be dedicated to her. Indy insists on seeing her safely home as fulfillment of his obligation to her dead brother, and after a brief, tense discussion, Edith capitulates and lets Jones tag along. Once airborne, Indy confronts Edith about her duplicity. He has figured out that she, Edith, murdered, or more accurately, arranged the murder of her brother, Charlie Dunn, and it was also she that took out the radio back on board Black Ship. The pilot emerges from the cockpit, and he's holding a gun on Indiana Jones. It was he, Edith's lover, who killed Charlie, and he's fully prepared to end Jones, too. He gives Indy a choice, take a bullet, or step out of the plane. Jones, stalling for time, offers up a third choice. He says that he had plenty of time while they were uh, on their little journey with the Germans to decipher the inscription on the base of the icons and that it entails a formula for bringing vengeance to the wicked. Jones then recites the incantation and to the horror-stricken amazement of Edith and her lover, the coffin crate containing the last remaining icon of Icomenon, slowly creaks open and an eerie golden figure emerges, stalking toward the pair as the pilot futilely empties his weapon into the undead Avenger as Jones, unnoticed, grabs up a parachute, sets the controls for the open Atlantic, and bails out, leaving Edith Dunn and her lover to whatever gruesome, fitting fate awaits them. Next issue, Into the Devil's Cradle. And that was the further adventures of Indiana Jones number two. What did you think, guys?
3: Excellent. (laughs) It was. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) Uh, You've saved the best till last.
1: Um, the art in this is once again just simply—you know—every panel is just a pleasure to look at. Mm It's—it's just fun to look at.
3: Yeah, I love the little touches, the splash purge, above the heads, the chain is all welded and melted together from the amount of times they've done this to other people.
1: And it's got a layer of gold on it too, yeah. stuck on it from where it's been dipped in, so y- you know where it's going too. Yeah, it's beautiful.
3: Yeah, it's fantastic.
1: So um, incredibly it, detailed.
3: As with issue one, it's fantastically paced. Yes, It just goes from one mission to the next with Nuri a break apart from the bit at the back where it says they were on the German sub for a month. But I suppose showing us what was going on on there would have slowed the story down. There's some dialogue in this that is just perfect from uh, you can hear Harrison Ford say on panel page three. I've got written down various different notes. Um, Yeah, please go through, through your notes. Yeah where she's on about in panel one of page three, uh, where my brother and I were taking your classes. You didn't tell me archaeology was like this. Didn't want to spoil the surprise. (laughs) And you could just hear Harrison Ford delivering that. Mm -hmm. And there's just tons of those little snappy, casual one-liners throughout the entire issue. Uh, The next couple of pages were the the escape. And he says, judging by the, the lack of noise, somebody must have won. And he's just so deadpan throughout the entire issue there's the brilliant bit on the bottom of page uh, seven where he, he's hiding from the the people with the spears and he knocks an entire house down and hides behind it because he knows it wouldn't stop a gun shell but it'll stop a rifle just fine and edith remains stood up and he just whacks her out the way get down and again, it's just a wonderful Harrison Ford moment. The well, next he,
1: says, pe- he says, will you get down? <laughs> and it's, yeah, See, dude, there's a totally moment like... Say it. Yeah,
3: I, I totally can, because there's a moment just like
0: that in... Um, in um, Temple of Doom? No, it's Temple in uh, uh, Last Crusade. Actually, come to think of it, I, I don't think it's him that delivers it, now that I think about it. I think it's his father that says, uh, what are you doing? Get down. But he does say it, just like Indy's saying yeah. it in this story. Yeah, yeah totally. It's
3: brilliant. The next page, the lovely panel of Indy just tilting his hat back yes. on his head and smiling as Edith's turning around, showing you that, no, it's not over yet. Um, the next page, because they don't have page numbers, so I'm just guessing, but the next page, the shot of Indy on that top page, again with the Phantom Stranger um, shadow over his eyes, mm-hmm. and Edith hiding behind him, again, Solomon Black looking like, um Yafet Koto's fat brother <laughs> in those next two panels from uh, the James Bond movie Live and Let Die. Uh, the following couple of pages were, um were after he sent the Morse code message. The top panel where the German sub fires the missile on them. Again he's nicked his hat back a little bit on his head and just the expression on his face, his yes. face
2: panel. The bottom
3: love half of it. it. Yeah, I love that panel. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And there's just so many little tiny touches where they get picked up by the Germans just the way the hat is soggy because they've just swam, just the way it's drawn to be drooping over his head. It's just fantastic. All the way through to the end, it's just magnificent in every single way, art-wise. The only, only quibble I have with this entire story, and like last issue... If there's only one thing we can pick holes in, it just shows how good it is, is that Edith follows the old cliche of as soon as she lets her hair down and takes her specs off, she's instantly desirable.
2: <laughs> but other than that, it's fantastic.
1: Well, and then he was saying, oh, you weren't pretty before, but now you're pretty now. You could tell she was hot from the first issue, you know. John Byrne drew her. Right, yeah. it's just it, it, It's obviously the librarian, you know, you know, getting ready—the fact that she had glasses on—you knew that at some point the glasses were going to come off, and that we were going to see her that's one as, thing, as a beautiful woman.
0: That's one thing I don't think that Burn gets enough credit for is Burn draws beautiful, beautiful women, and uh, you know, I, I, I will cite as Exhibit A the art of John Byrne.
1: If you ever look at that book, look at the nudes in that, and they're gorgeous. I mean, well the. Th- the thing about it is, he doesn't do it. He's not just like I can draw the female form and stuff. It's something about the face. The you know, he puts personality into faces mm-hmm. and um, and makes um, the physical form seem real. You know, he puts right. a, a, a a realistic dimension to it. So yeah.
0: Well, you see, there's a there's a long standing joke slash argument that that john byrne has like three stock faces for either sex and i've even been guilty of kind of you know making the same joke or statement myself but at the same rate i I would argue that at this point in his career and i don't want to say that like he got lazy later on or something like that but at this point in his career i reject that argument i think that he does do distinctive people eventually it would kind of become the case where you know, well, you there's could interchange
1: style to it. Though. Yeah, absolutely. And,
2: uh, I mean,
0: so eventually, it would get to a point where you know you could interchange, like say Lois Lane or um, Jean Gray or several other women that he drew, to where they all kind of look the same after a while. But at this point in his career, I really don't feel like that's the case. I think that Edith does look different from other women that he's drawn. I think Indy looks different from other men that he's drawn at this point. They they do look like. You know, their, their own characters. At least I think so, anyway.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
3: I don't think that he, he does have the same faces. Um, there's a certain handsome face that he draws for everyone. But he always differentiates them in some way. Right. Uh, I'm, and I think the work he's currently doing in X-Men is some of the best of his career. Mm-hmm. He did go through a lull in the 90s. Um, But I don't ever think his art was truly terrible. No. But I I think he does have distinctive faces. And I do think a lot of the time, it's simply that the color palette will only let them do certain types of hair color. So you change the hair color on Jean Grey and maybe you've got Sue Storm. But even then, he gives Jean Grey bigger eyes. Right. And a slightly and a smaller nose than he gives Sue Storm. He does try and differentiate his characters. And like, like Chris was saying about his drawing of the female form, he doesn't draw exaggerated proportions in no. any of them. No. Uh, not- even when he was drawing She Hulk, he was drawing an obvious statuesque woman with long legs, but she was a believable looking statuesque woman yeah, exactly. with long legs.
0: Yeah, exactly. That was my point about, about the art of John Byrne. You know, that book, um, It features, you know, and I was kind of shocked the first time I picked that book up. That book features a lot of nudes. And I think it's the nudes where you really can appreciate what a fantastic artist he is. Because I I think you take, I don't know, I don't want to single any other artists out. But I think you take a lot of other comic book artists and you give them the opportunity to draw, you know, a comic book heroine nude. And you're gonna get somebody that's completely unrealistic. You're gonna get these giant balloon-titted girls with with like a you know a three-inch waist and stuff like that. He didn't draw them like he draw women as they actually look when they're nude. You know the 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 breasts might sag just a bit and they have natural hips, but they were beautiful. I mean they they looked very realistic, and I like that about Burns' artwork is that. I think that's one of the things I always enjoyed about it, and maybe didn't realize it on a conscious level, is that he could take the most fantastic uh, characters or premise or whatever, and because his art style was very realistic and and grounded in the real world, if you know what I mean. I mean, he he drew from life. It it gave the stories a a grounded feel, and and thus made them that much more believable. At least, again, at least I think
3: so. No, I don't disagree with you. I think it's it's what Mike Bailey says is what he likes about Richard Donner's Superman film. Superman's the only fantastic element in that film. Right. And Burns' Out is the same. When you see New York with the Fantastic Four in it or Spider-Man swinging across or whatever, New York looks completely 100% real. Mm -hmm. And the only fantastical bit is the Fantastic Four or Spider-Man or whatever. And that's what makes them look so good. Right. That he's treating them as if they were just a part of that landscape, and they should be there. To me, still, the shots of him fly, of Superman flying when burned room are still the best flight shots anyone's ever done. Just the way you would have the cape wrapped round him while he's flying. Oh, I knew I liked the you for a of, reason. Well, yeah, and the shots <laughs> of the, the the landscape that he's flying over, even when he's doing a metropolis that is a fictional city it looks real and just by adding superman into it you ground him in reality by having him in such a realistic setting and then even when you send him to to um apocalypse he drew apocalypse grimy and dirty and you could smell it Mm -hmm. and it's the same in this Especially seeing as he's not drawing a superhero in this. So he doesn't have the shortcuts that you do when you're drawing a traditional superhero comic. He doesn't have the luxury of saying, well, that's Superman because he's got Superman's costume on. There are so many drawings of Superman or artists drawing Superman now who, if they weren't wearing the Superman costume, you wouldn't know who the hell that was. Grounded is a prime example. John Cassidy is a brilliant artist. But when he was doing the covers to that, that didn't look like Superman. If he didn't have a suit on, I wouldn't know who he was. Superman Underburn had a distinctive face. Right. That even when he was Clark Kent in normal clothes without the specs, you knew it was Superman. And it's the same here. You know it's Indy, even when he's not in his traditional togs, even though he doesn't really do that a lot in this issue. And he does try to differentiate. I mean, not just the stock heroic faces. There are not many different ways to draw handsome people. He said on his website that, He doesn't like likenesses a lot because certainly with the Star Trek stuff he's done, Shatner has no definable quality to his face if you're drawing original Star Trek stuff to make it easy to draw him consistently. He says DeForest Kelly's got distinctive looks to him. So is Leonard Nimoy that with a few shorthand brush strokes you can say, "Look, that's Leonard Nimoy." Shatner doesn't have that. But if you look at the other people in the book, all the background people, I defy anyone to tell me they have all got the same face. Right. There are some elements in this where the colouring hurts. The bottom of page, oh Jesus! Put page numbers on it. Two, three, <laughs> four, five. Bottom of page six were for whatever reason the colourist has coloured everybody red. That panel would look fantastic in black and white. Yeah. Whereas just colouring everybody red takes away from the art. Mm-hmm. Especially we have seen as some of the colouring has bled. But every other character in this, the two people stood behind Solomon Black on page 10 do not look anything like the two people stood behind him on previous pages. Right. There is no just... He's just copied the same face. I would guess that it's got to be
0: much harder to, to really do a book like this where uh, I'll give you an example of what I mean. You know, Indy gets into a situation in this, you can't just half-ass it by have him hide be- behind some Kirby machine, you know, like you could do in some other book. You know what I mean? If you're doing like Superman or Fantastic Four or anything superhero-ish, You know, if you get into a tight spot, you can just make shit up. You can't do that with this because Indiana Jones exists in the same world we do. There aren't these, you know, usually these fantastical elements, you know, so you have to kind of draw from life and more so you have to draw from, you know, 1936 life. You know what I mean? So he also, you know, he also has to have, you know have researched this stuff to make sure that he's drawing something that somebody's not going to call him out and say, you know, well that Ramaphra didn't exist for another 10 years. They didn't
1: make that model a car for another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: But I, I continue to be impressed with this. I really, really do. It's just the art is again, I'll I'll throw down the same gauntlet I did last time around. You know, I challenge anyone that, you know, if you don't have, you know, if you have a low opinion of John Byrne and all you've seen, is the stuff from later in his career, and you just think, eh, what's the big deal? Look at this. Just look at it. Just dig this out, you know, in a reprint or you know, buy it off of eBay for a buck, whatever, and just look at how gorgeous this is, and hopefully you'll get a sense for why this guy was the shit in the 1980s and why he's so revered as, as a comic book artist because this is just, I mean, it's awesome. They just don't make him
3: like this anymore. It's as simple yeah. as that. Well, like you say, he's not got... He's traditionally, your superhero comics are full of people in costumes. He's drawing real clothes mm-hmm. throughout this entire issue. And he doesn't have the crux of falling back on a skin-tight uniform. He has to draw drapery, and he has to draw the movement of the body when they move their arms and the legs, and it's just... It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. What do you got for notes,
1: guys? Well, I've got a... F- I- my, You know, I mean, basically I could just go and quantify everything that's awesome about this, but I've got a few writing notes on this that I, of my, my few quibbles with this okay. are my major notes. Of course, it's usually, it's always the, the great issues that basically my notes are just the quibbles because otherwise I'd be just going, this is beautiful. And then page two, it's awesome. And then page three is even better than page two, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Indy in this is a little bit like when 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 they get when they get out and there and they're in the village and they're and they're caught between, you know, Solomon Black's men and the villagers. I think Indy's just a little too gung-ho about like murdering the na- murdering natives and uh, he's just a little too I know it's a younger Indy, but he's he's very gung-ho about, you know, basically the temple getting trashed and the idols, get, you know, getting taken away and stuff. Um, I would have written there's um, a lot of good dialogue, you know, Harrison Ford sounding dialogue except for the part where she finds out that he was just bullshitting about the inscriptions and the translations and his line is, there's nothing to translate. I made that stuff up for to keep us from getting shot. See, I, I hear w- I love I that. Hear, this is what I hear Harrison Ford going. Translation: There's no translation. <laughs> I just made that up, you know, something like that. Right. You know, it's it's a that, but that's just something I heard in my head. But and um, what was the other thing? I think the Germans would have kept the the solid gold idol. They would have they would have taken a look inside that crate and said, you know, uh, we're just going to confiscate this because we don't know if this is safe. You know. I, I can't believe that they would... they would I can believe almost that he could say, ah, you know, we're Americans, so they transport him to New York City. I don't think they'd give him the solid gold um, I, I
2: statue. Think,
0: I think there's a reason why the trip from the sunken ship to New York City happens in three panels. And I think that's because if you linger people are going to start to think about it. Start asking and, questions. Yeah, exactly. You, you've got to move that quickly so that people <laughs> don't stop to go, wait a minute, Indy spent a month on a German sub? Weren't he these the same assholes that were trying to that. kill him an entire movie ago? You know. So yeah, exactly. I, I
1: think you just going to kind of gloss right past that as quick as you can. And my other little quibble comes back to something we've talked about before with Indiana Jones and his, his belief in the paranormal aspect of it and this one he shows not only enough belief in the paranormal aspect of this but enough faith in it to know that that's his way out that he could bring the statue that that if he says that those lines that the statue will come to life and and go after the wicked and and Indiana Jones at this point he's pretty wicked too <laughs> in some ways you know he's not he's not a clean slate but you know, just the fact that he relied on that when, in fact, in this story, there hasn't been a supernatural element up until that very point. Mm-hmm. It's been all there's been. You know, there's legends about this and this, but it's all been pretty practical—guns and spears and and physical uh, things. And then at the very end, it turns to a supernatural element, very much like Raiders. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know if I if that Indiana Jones at the post Raiders, Indiana Jones would have enough faith to be like, Oh, well, if I get in a pinch with on the plane, I can bring the idol back to life and, uh, jump jump out the window.
0: I'll give you that point. I think, you know, I I have to agree with you. I think that this issue instead of ending, and, and I didn't really touch on this in my synopsis. I think that the final dialogue as he bails out of the plane I, I, you know, it pains me to say this. But I think the dialogue's really, really corny. Oh, I think it would you. be better served if instead of him actually talking to himself and say he says some goofy thing about praying for Edith, I think it would be better served if there was a thought balloon going, "Holy shit! I didn't expect that to work. At a, who knew that that thing was going to come to life? That <laughs> he was actually yeah. stalling for time. That he didn't believe any right. of what he was yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, that
3: that you would know? be
1: great. Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. Where well, he's just my, like,
3: son of a bitch,
1: that word. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. My, yeah. <laughs> get out of jail free. <laughs> my issue with the last page uh, is twofold, really. One, if I were the praying kind, I'd do that for you, too. That's not an Indiana Jones line. But you've already discussed on the show that following Rays of the Lost Air, they have had in the Indy Jones universe definite proof of the existence of God. Right, and it's kind of like he's—he's he's kind of ignoring what happened at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. There, this isn't—we're not turning this into a theological podcast. But the end of Raiders definitely presupposes. No, but we're talking
1: about it, so yeah, yeah it's in there. definitely
3: presupposes there is a god. There's no question about it at the end of that film. The Ark of the Covenant is real,
1: and not just a god, but the old—not just a Christian god, but the old yeah. school the fire, wrath of God, fire and brimstone god. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah very much so. so.
3: Secondly, then, in the British reprint of this, when it was originally printed in Star Wars Monthly, it ended with Indy bailing out of the plane on the previous page. So we didn't that get it. that last page. Oh, wow. It, it just, uh, he, he says, uh, I wish you luck, but that'd be a lie, and anyway, it's too late. And they added, if memory serves, and this is strictly from memory, they added another balloon far too late, and they just put an end in the bottom right-hand corner, and they completely excised that last page.
1: Well, if you had to lose a page for, maybe they had to do it for, because they only had a limited number of pages, that page is just an obvious splash, you know, it doesn't add anything to the story, really, you know, so, they, so you could lose that page if you had to lose. You can't lose any other page in this story because yeah. there's and too much happening in every one.
3: And if you are going to edit one that is the be- that is the page where the dialogue's gone wonky. Mm, yeah. Indiana Jones isn't a Marvel Comics hero. He doesn't talk to himself. Right.
0: Yeah, I, you know what? I I would be totally all right with the ending right there because it also, you know, you, you see the hands of the Avenger reaching for the neck of Edith, you mm. know, from so it, that's a, actually a great panel to end it if you had to, you know, if you had to trim it just a bit. I think that that's yeah.
1: But I, but there was a lot. But those are just quibbles. There were also little shadings, and they're like, I was wondering through all this. Indy was, you know, Indy was kind of. It's been established that he's sleeping with his students. So right. you're talking eight, eight, 18, 20 year old girls. So they're they're not out of Indy's wheelhouse. You know, I'm I'm guessing he's probably around thirty in this, in his in his early thirties. And I
0: would kept be. Thinking, he would be. Th- Thirty six or thirty seven. He was born in eighteen
1: ninety nine. So I'm thinking, why isn't he hitting on Edith? You know, or why isn't there any hit? You know, he's not hitting on her, and and it turns out he's not hitting on her because he's been sort of suspicious of her from mm. the start. He's not thought of her as a a potential. Although we find out in you know in the third movie that indeed he'll sleep with a bad with a bad lady if she's hot enough, or you know, yeah. Make out with her or whatever. Did he actually sleep with her in 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 the third indie movie? The the German woman. Yes, he did. Yeah, because he, he makes he that line about. I yeah, because that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, so you know, but he, you know, he was, probably just more. well <coughs> Willy, Also, her Willy brother was one of his favorite.
0: Yeah, Willie is the one that we don't see him bag, but he bags the other ones.
1: Oh yeah, he does. <laughs> but um yeah and and i like that and then at the end it's like okay he hasn't liked her from the start <laughs> he's been he's been he's been just playing just, a just, game with her from yeah. the start yeah he's been he's been pretending to be her friend but he's been also you know building a a wall of evidence against her too mm-hmm. so I, I i like that um I thought her boyfriend was a little too much of the stereotype greasy boyfriend, you know. <laughs> yeah, with the, yeah, he is. With the greasy pencil mustache and all that, but that yeah, that's okay. You know, it's it's it's. And he
3: came out of nowhere at the end, didn't he? Mm-hmm. No. But, but he that's
1: okay. That's what he would like, do in the movie. That's how they would do it in a movie too. It would be like in my boyfriend, you know, Spike or Weasel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he does. He looks like wow. one, of the, one of the weasels from Who
2: Framed Roger <laughs> Rabbit. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. I got a few notes on this one. um Page one. I I love this. I lo- I like this a lot better than the cover. um The only quibble I have with it is a minor one, but something about the inking it makes Indy look like a Klingon. He he has one of those little Fu Manchu mustaches.
1: It's a he's got a little Tom Selleck work in too. <laughs> he does actually, but I really like that. Yeah,
0: that's true. Um, Page three, the same panel that you cited, uh, Andy. I I love that. I mean, the art is gorgeous throughout, but I especially like that panel. That shot of Indy right there is, it's just great. I mean, it's really well done. You know, now that you say that about Tom Selleck, now I can't unsee Tom Selleck. He really looks like Tom Selleck. <laughs> he was Selleck. almost yeah. Indy too. Yeah. He really, in that p- uh, panel
1: especially,
2: yes, he, does.
0: he really looks like Tom Selleck. Wow. I never, yeah, I never put that together until just this moment.
1: Now I'm putting it together, too, and
0: it's never going to be unseen. I wish I could cite a source. I hate saying things like this without having evidence to back it up. But this whole swing back and forth, swing back and forth until you kick the mechanism and release yourself. I'm pretty damn sure I've seen this same escape in either an old Neil Adams or Jim Aparo Batman story. Yes. I'm almost positive I've seen this
1: before. I I think you're totally right because now that you say that, it just set off little alarm bells in my head. That's a, okay though. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. the same, not a, not same
0: a, genre. Same. Yeah, not at all a criticism. I just I'm just saying. I think I've seen it before. But I, I love it. I love I love escapes. I you know, being a classic comic book fan, I love you know, the Batman traps, you know what I mean? I, you know, <laughs> as much as I will give it shit today, when I was a kid, I, you know, it used to kill me having to wait an entire day or week yep. or whatever for the next episode of Batman to find out how is he not going to die in the flaming pudding or whatever, you know, I mean, I, I needed to know. And so I love this trope of, of old comics of the death trap and how are they going to get out of it? I, it's just great. Um, speaking of recycled elements, At the bottom of, God damn it, I hate that there's not uh, page numbers in this. I think this is page five. I don't know. The bottom of the page where Black's henchman gets hit in the neck with the the poison dart, and then you turn the page, and he's stiff as a board as he clunks over, that exact, exact panel layout would happen again in um, Superman Volume 2, Number 2 by John Byrne, when luther sends him yes. to kidnap the kents yes yeah, same exact that. thing yep um i love the uh the two page escape from the villagers that whole action i could totally see this in an indiana jones movie the thing where he knocks down half the building to you can hear the music when he knocks oh, the building yes. down yes i, I, I I both can't wait and dread having to score the synopsis on this because I don't have any idea at this point what I'm going to use for that. But I like the challenge, you know, to try to come up with something dynamic for that. Um, Okay, as much as I don't really want to nitpick the issue, there's a freaking huge one that uh, I think you just can't help. Okay, again, I'm sorry, there's no page numbers, but it's the page where... Okay, they're back on the ship after the island, and the very first line of dialogue is Edith. And Indy's sitting in the bed kind of pouting. And she says, they've locked us in. All right. After she changes to her slinky dress and she shows herself off to Indy, the very next page, top of the page, the very first panel says, then the door's open and she's calling the guard to come over. Hey, come over here, handsome. You know, keep me company. How the hell did she get the door open? The door was locked. Boom power. <laughs> Boob power. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, like I say, I hate to point it out, but it has to be her, said.
2: Her boobs
1: drew, drew all the power out of the lock on the door and opened <laughs> it like Cliff. A milkshake brought all the boys to the yard. There you go. That's right. And it was better than yours. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, her boobs are better than mine.
0: <laughs> um, Andy, you totally called it, man. The the face palming panel is awesome that to me is like quintessential indiana jones i know that they couldn't swear with this being you know arguably a kiddie comic but that's just the like ah oh, jesus christ panel
3: and i love it yeah. it's, it's well it's, the guys behind him as well solomon black's body language and the expression on his face is brilliant mm-hmm. you don't need the dialogue though where he's saying i am as you americans say fed up you can tell it yeah. from the drawing yes he's just had enough now
0: <laughs> absolutely um nazis i love that there's nazis in this even if it's just a couple of pages come on what's an indiana jones story without nazis it's and he
1: he goes hey deutschlanders (laughs) (laughs) um i like the panel and he orders them around when he gets there he
2: does I like.
0: excuse me i like the uh the panel of the sinking ship that's actually that's really well done i think that looks really cool um Again, I think it just bears repeating. Indy spent a month aboard a Nazi submarine. I think that is a story in itself. Okay, right toward the end of the story. Top of the page, just before Indy and Edith. I wanted to almost say Indy and Marion. Indy and Edith board the airplane. That very first panel at the top of the page. um, Casablanca, anyone? Yeah. I looked it up just to make sure of my facts, and she's wearing a slightly different hat, and they're flip flopped. But there's a classic picture of uh, of Bogart and what was it Bacall, right? Bacall, yeah. It, it's that it's taken right from that. There's no arguing. He, you know, Indy even has his collar up just like yeah. Bogart does in that in that end of that movie.
3: When I was reading this, I thought that looked familiar. Thank you very much. <laughs>
0: um. Let's see. Oh, my last, my last real note, or specific note, uh, for the issue, is right at the very end of the story, there's a couple of panels that just look a little off to me, and they almost don't look like they're burned, or like parts of them don't look like they're quite John Byrne. It's, it's specifically the three panels when the Avenger Rises. And if you look like at the left-hand side of the panel where the pilot is shooting the Avenger, he, uh, he just, I don't know what it is about that to me. It just you know what it like is? It's like it's drawn by a different artist to me.
1: You know why? Because a lot of different artists draw people really stiff, and John Byrne draws them to look like they're naturally moving, but he's drawing that idol to look like he's stiff. That he's just cut, you know, that he's like an action figure coming yeah. at him. You know, so it looks yeah. like maybe a, a crappier artist who would who would draw that the 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 one of the idol coming out of the casket sort of but not a casket, but it looks like his casket. Yeah, called it reminds me it. Yeah. reminds me of old Dracula movies oh, yeah. and of the old, old the the movies about the golem golem when the yeah, golem yeah. would come golem would come to life you know it, it reminded me of that of just like very slowly and stiffly and 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 you're exactly right that that thing does not look like something that it belongs in the John Byrne universe cuz it doesn't look alive right. <laughs> like the other people
0: do right i li- i do like that though um a couple of things that, that jumped right out to me in this, you know, there, there's a good number of things that happen in this story that we would actually see in later films. Um, people being lowered into hot pits. Indy diving off of a ship just before it explodes and sinks. Um, Indy reciting a magical incantation with dire results for the villain. You know, Mm -hmm. you you had said something about that seeming a little uh, weird or out of character or something, but remember that Temple of Doom is a prequel. So Temple of Doom actually takes place before this, where Indy did the same thing with the Sankara Stones. That's true. And then, of course, you know, Indy bailing out of a small cargo plane. Now, granted, he has a parachute this time, but I just think that that's really cool that there were a number of elements, whether intentional or not. That would, you know, be repeated in the movies. So I thought that well, those are things cool. you
1: do in in adventure movies. And plus, you're you're also limited in that time period as to what kind of things you can do. Those, this what kind true, of things again. you can jump out of, blow yeah. up, or or run away from. That's very true.
0: It occurs to me, you know, when when I <laughs> suddenly threw out that little fact about Indiana Jones, I totally forgot to mention. I've really had Indiana Jones on the brain lately because. Um, I started reading the the novels. i'm I'm just on the first one at the moment, um, the uh, Peril at Delphi. But so far, I'm really digging it. It's a really good book. And uh, I started watching the uh, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, and i'm I'm not even through the first because the first one's like a movie. It's like a telemovie. So I'm about halfway through that. But so far, I'm digging it in a way that I
1: totally didn't when it was, you know first run on TV. I've been having an itch to go find those and watch those because I've never seen any of them. I know nothing about them, and now I'm curious. To I've been had an itch in the back of my mind to see those, so maybe I'm definitely going to do it now that you're saying that. You are. (coughs) Because my fear is that they're going to (laughs) suck. Excuse me. You ought to do that,
0: and if we end up both liking it, we'll spin this segment into its own show. (laughs) we will be the Indiana Jones show.
1: Why not? Why not do another podcast? Ah, we got space to fill. By two thousand and like twenty, we'll have like eighty-four different podcasts. We won't even know what we're talking about when we get on the air. They'll just have us propped up in front I of thought, microphones, just talking constantly, and so people yeah. will be just like, "I don't know what they're what are they talking about so now." I thought you were like that already. Actually,
0: I, th- I thought I already thought half the time you didn't know what what the subject was. Well,
1: yeah, that's. <laughs> I just I'm, show up I'm and, just kind of, and
0: I'm just taking cheap shots at you left and right tonight. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> hey, no, I don't take it personally, you bastard. <laughs> Reve- uh, no, no, I won't get revenge ever. You know me. I, I don't hold a grudge at all, just like you. <laughs> yeah, right. It's all in good. It's all in good. It's all in good fun, sport. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. No problem. Now you worry me. <laughs> play fair, play hard. Nobody hurt. I got it. Well, I think we need to, <laughs>
2: need
1: to thank our guest for
0: joining us for this episode. Who's that? Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> this is the most it's awkward. It's like circle, ever. isn't it? <laughs>
3: I thought you were going to talk about the Bullpen bulletins page, which is awesome, but we'll go if you want to. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, I was just, uh, it's more a Comics Monthly Monday thing, but A, I loved Bullpen bulletins, and B, just looking down the Mighty Marvel checklist, Jim Shooter gets a lot of stick. I think me and Scott have discussed this before, but when he was in charge, you look at that list, there is not a truly terrible book on that list. Amen. At this time. Every single one of them. Even Dazzler.
0: I will go so yep. far as to say what I think that Marvel Comics desperately needs today is Jim Shooter.
3: Yep. So the only problem is, Burner said after he fixed everything he should have just put his feet up and relaxed and he didn't. He continued to fix things that didn't <laughs> need fixing.
1: Must keep fixing. Yeah,
3: but at this point, the only thing on there I didn't at least once try and sample is probably Team America. I don't know what that is. Is that (laughs) something off of the thing that was in Captain America? Yes, yes it was. Right. And Mm -hmm. it sucked balls.
1: Oh, it sure did. The art was terrible.
3: there's There's one book on this list that was terrible.
1: I I remember buying Team America number one just because it was a number one, and and Scott and I just looking at it going, oh, my God, this is what presents America? I don't know.
0: I bought that book because of their appearance in Captain America, and I thought that they were pretty damn cool. But you have to keep in mind they were illustrated by Mike Zack in that book. Right. And right. So they, yeah. they did look really cool. I I wish I could remember. I see. I'm terrible about remembering who the writers were on these classic runs that I always love. I always feel like I'm giving short shrift to the the creative team because I never remember who the writers were. But the stories were really good, and I liked that issue with Team America. And it is as, as goofy a thing as that may sound like,
1: you know, to say. No, that's why they got their own book. That's was, why they got their was, own it was, book. It was exactly. a lot of. It, it was like, wow, that's really cool. And then it was like, oh, actually, you know what? In fact, it's not cool. No, it wasn't.
0: No. Well, the problem
1: was <laughs> is that it was they didn't. They, they didn't really
0: have a gimmick. They they were basically they were Team Knievel, you know. Yeah. And and they came together to form the Black Racer or whatever the hell that goofy concept was, and it just yeah it should have never spun off into its its own thing. <laughs>
3: Well, just quickly going down that list, Daredevil, Frank Miller was on it at that point. Amazing Spider-Man, Stern yep. and Romita Jr. Mm-hmm. 237, if memory serves, was the second part of the introduction to Hobgoblin, which is a fantastic issue. Captain America 278, we're well into DeMatteis and Mike Zeck's run there. Aren't we around the Deathlock storyline there? 278.
0: Oh, gosh, you got me on that.
3: Awesome. Thor 328, we're only five issues away from Walt Simonson, I think. Keep uh, continuing down Moon Knight, you were still in Doug Mention, uh, Bill Sinkovich's run, mm-hmm. Incredible Hulk, Bill Mantlo I think had just taken over at that point, Avengers 228 was around the time Roger Stern was having Spider-Man
2: yeah.
3: in and going, should I be an Avenger? And the answer quite correctly was no, screw you Brian Michael Bendis, <laughs> uh, Conan was good, Marvel Tales just started repinting the great Lee Ditko run, X-Men 1. I just picked oh, up
0: bunch of those issues up those marvel tales reprints of classic i wish i still had those three for a buck i picked them up and yeah Mm. they're nice
3: fantastic x-men is you approaching the end of paul smith the beginning of john jr so when the x-men was still readable basically (laughs) uh rob uh fantastic for 251 uh the start of the negative zone storyline that wasn't it 250 was the double-sized issue. with Yes, girls. Man you're and right. Superman,
0: my favorite FF yeah. story. Yes, where, where yeah. Superman fights the Fantastic Four, essentially. That's a damn good story. But 251, yeah. I, th- I think you're right. That may even be that. the sideways issue, if I'm not mistaken. I
1: think you're right.
3: It may be, yeah, which was really awesome. Uh, Marvel Team-Up was the really strange issue with two stories with really strange artwork, but it was good. Iron Man 167, you're coming up to the Obadiah Stane stuff, I think. Yeah, around issue 200, all of that, wasn't it? 167, 167,
0: I think, would have been... Ooh, I'm trying to remember. It might have been right around the time where the book was transitioning into... Like, Bob Layton left for a while, and it was... uh... I think O'Neill Daniel was Daniel the, the writer, and like Luke McDonald, I think, was took over. I, I don't know. It was right in that era, though, and eventually. Around,
3: uh, yeah. Yeah. So Tony Stark's on the process of losing Stark International at that point.
0: It's Peter actually Pakistan,
3: really good stuff. Park. If
0: you can get past the art the between, say, 150 and 200, it's actually some
3: really good stuff, but you it's, just have to, you kind of have to slog through the artwork on a lot of that stuff. Perfectly serviceable. Peter Parker 75 is the end of the Bill Mantlo's gang war story between Dr. Octopus and the Owl mm-hmm. where the black cat gets shot up. Um, Master of Kung Fu is still going. It does not other than that Team America thing you just mentioned which I don't think I'd ever read there's not a real lemon amongst a lot of them.
0: What issue does that say for Star Wars? Does that say 68?
1: 68.
0: Which no, was one was 68. 68? Which
1: one was that? God I can't remember. It was that was a long time ago. In <laughs> we time. about it. I know. I can't remember either. Now we're in the '80s. Now, so you know, yeah, come on. I know.
2: Well, I know. Well,
0: I know I've... Uh, special edition number one was uh, was a good book. There's an, uh, uh, yeah. an all original
1: story in that one. I um, I know I was the one who was like, we gotta wrap this. I gotta be out for this episode, <laughs> but I still have I still have a little bit more. It's I love the dark
3: Star Wars sixty-eight is the one with Boba Fett on the cover, the Jean Day Boba Fett.
1: Ah, uh, looked it up. That's right. Fen- Search
3: begins. Yeah.
1: I love. There's a dark crystal. Yeah. Um, ad in here. I love this picture, and I have every millimeter of this picture memorized because I painted it in art class. Wow. <laughs> except, except where. It's sort of blank over to the left. I think I put one of the... What were the what were the good guy Yoda sort of creatures? I put one of those. Okay, the not, bad guys were the Skeksis. I can't
0: remember what the... Good and guys the Gelflings were, were yeah, the oh, good guys. That's but they
1: were the guys that were sort of the Skexies friends. That were sort of the good monks. That were kind of like long nose Yoda guys. I put one of them. You know that... Oh, maybe they were Skeksis that didn't go go bad, like the Skeksis were those guys in disarray or whatever, but it was one of the, and I put one of those on the other side of it, but I painted the whole thing with the cracks in the ground, and uh, something, was it,
0: again, was it Walking Dead Wednesday? Something where Michael Bailey was talking about how he hates that movie, and I was like, wow, really, who hates the Dark Crystal?
1: I think um, he actually spoke of it as if it was universally hated by everybody, and I'm like, I don't know. I know a lot of people who really like that movie. Now, granted, no I I have it.
3: and Gary Kurtz produced it, so there's your Star Wars connection. Ah, it was
1: a it was a nice Marvel Super Special. It was a nicely painted Mar- Marvel. Who super drew special. that one. I don't remember. I don't
0: remember yeah, I know I, remember. I have it. I think I have the actual Super Special and I, I the uh,
1: the individual issues. I think, but um. I remember I remember like being kind of disappointed in the movie cuz it was kind of kitty like but then as it grew on me over the years and I have a really nice I found a bootleg of they filmed the whole movie in black and white video to make a a test of all the special effects and I've got that like the early wow early version of the dark crystal it's very fuzzy and stuff but it's the whole movie filmed it's almost like the Henson version of the what do they call it? Uh, Animantics, right? But, but it's still it's it's pretty much the the movie. It's it's really interesting to see that to see the just va- they filmed the whole movie once as a test. That's insane. Um, also, in this issue is a nice new mutants, um, and. And seeing as how we just had Bob McCloud on last month, I, I thought I should mention That's that. It's the same one that was in last month's episode. I know. <laughs> but you know, I just want everybody to remember we had Bob McCloud on last month.
3: And I got that graphic novel <laughs> in Florida for $5.
1: Did you really?
3: Yep. Coliseum of Comics. Can't say enough good things about them.
1: <laughs> and I actually, in, in the in the beginning of the book, there's a Dungeons & Dragons books ad. And I actually have a couple of those books that I got at garage sales, thinking that I could sell them on eBay. And you Not were wrong. I, I was pretty wrong. <laughs> I was so. Wrong.
3: <laughs> you can't win them all.
1: Yeah, you know. Pardon me while but, I uh, laugh at your misfortune. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they cost like five cents or whatever. But um, yeah, that's about all I got for indiana jones number two just i just all in all just the most satisfying sort of comic experience that i have these days because
2: Mm.
1: not only does it have the nostalgia of the old 80s ads and the stuff that i that i actually read you know it's something i actually read during that time period it's just a damn fine comic and on all levels it's just it was it was a pleasure sometimes you know i don't want to say that i don't look forward to like having like doing my homework for these episodes, but, like, I had to hold back on reading this one after I read issue number one for last month. I had to, like, put it aside and say, okay, you know, do all your other homework, because I wanted to read that one. You know, I wanted to just move right on to it. It's gonna be interesting. We'll be going on to issue number three um, next month, where I remember as kids we were a bit disappointed in the I'm grabbing it right now so I can actually sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um, we were disappointed that John Byrne was gone, but uh, I think next month. I, oh, now that I'm looking at the cover, I believe it's Gene Day. Does issue number three of Indiana Jones? So,
0: see, I haven't reread any.
1: I'm of the right
0: non-John Byrne now. issues of that series since I bought them when they originally were on the stand. So yeah. I'm both looking forward to and dreading this at the same time. I'm hoping that time it has been kind to them. You know what I mean? I'm hoping that they're better than I remember them to be, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see, yes.
3: <laughs> I remember the Kerry Gamble ones being good.
0: See, I didn't like him then, but i like him now so that'll probably you know that's probably one that that's will get be better in. but i th- if i'm not mistaken i think he worked on the um the fourth nail story which i remember to be a really good story so i'm looking forward to that one i have no idea what issues those are but i, I like the story
3: and there's an issue howard chaykin did that i vaguely remember being quite offbeat because indy doesn't dress like indy for the entire issue you remember that one i remember that one,
1: remember that one yes yeah. Yeah, I remember. Now I'm remembering the cover of it. They were like fighting on top of a train or something like that. If I recall, yeah. right? or on a, a, they were fighting on the wing of a plane or on a train or something.
0: The thing about that book is, you know, a lot of even if the, the interior, you know, art or the story or whatever wasn't any good, that that series almost always had really good covers on it. So, if nothing else, we can, you know, we can talk about the covers. But. uh <laughs> Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, And it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Visit our website at 2 truefreaks.libsen.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S Libsyn is spelled
1: L-I-B-S-Y-N You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com Join our forum
0: at forumforgeeks.com
1: Rough? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards. You know, you know, they all sound the same to me. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you not sound the same. How can you say yeah. a scouse sounds the same as a cockney?
1: Ah, uh, I just did, didn't you I? Did. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, no basis in real life whatsoever. <laughs> All you But ourselves. you don't
1: understand. That doesn't matter in America. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> we, 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 make, we tell you what you're like over <laughs> in the other countries. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't
3: let the fact cloud the issue.
1: Oh my god. That's exactly it. That was the one major thing I noticed
3: about your TV and the sheer amount of commercials which meant I really lost patience watching television.
1: Can't be done with adverts, man. Not that many. Yeah, well, we've- That's how they pay for the shit. We've learned to- yeah, we've learned to sh- not only to shove- <clears throat> I-, I love at the end of like a movie where they shove the credits down into the corner of the screen so they can run yeah. eight million yeah. ads and and when you're watching a TV show, they even have little people running out in, in front yeah. of the picture and going, watch my yeah, show!
0: I'll tell you what, if I had been the guy that had, you know, run a ham sandwich out to, you know, Mr. Spielberg on this set, and that was my two seconds of fame in, you know, in, in yep. the world of movies, I'd be right pissed, you yeah. know, that they did that on television, you know what I mean? Shove
3: that I didn't see down in Star Wars. Why well, I was channel surfing, Star Wars was up. Really? Yep, Star Wars, Empire, and Jedi were on over three oh, consecutive been like days Spike on Spike or something. Spike? Yeah. yeah, Spike.
0: Yeah, I forgot that they, they have the rights to, uh, to the Star Wars movies currently. I don't know. I still don't know to this day how I feel about Star Wars movies on television. Somehow it just feels wrong to me.
3: Yeah, it was weird. I saw the last half hour of Star Wars and I only watched it just to make sure you can't see Darth Vader's face through his mask. <laughs> because on the Blu-ray you can and it really pissed me off. Really? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Quality control, though, George. In the final battle scene on the Death Star, whenever you see um, Darth Vader in his TIE fighter, you can see through the eyepieces. You can clearly see Dave Prowse's face, and I'm not on about freeze framing it. You can see it yeah, when that... he took, especially when he goes what when Han Solo comes swooping in. It's not on the TV print that I watched in when I was over in
1: Florida because I checked. Hmm. Yeah, no. Free- H- Hair metal hero that. was telling me about that. Yep. Really wow. pissed me. I think. Here, I mean,
0: is I, that just for the clarity of it? You mean?
3: I I can only presume he's he's done something with color correction in the final scene, and he's lightened the scenes in the
1: Tie Fighter cockpit too much. Huh? A lot of times that just happens. Yeah, it just happens when when you go into high def, you, you just get all this stuff that. Because I remember seeing I remember seeing Empire, in high def from a bootleg that a guy got off hbo when they showed him all in hd and uh it was hard to watch yoda because you could see that he was foam rubber you could see you know the the physical um signs of foam rubber with paint on the top of it you know it just i haven't haven't watched that empire yet you could you know you could actually see the foam compressing in places and it, and it, and it looked you know it looked like a really good close up picture of a foam rubber puppet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's uh, that's the problem with taking, you know. <coughs> yeah. We're so in the, that the
0: more they yeah, the more they define that stuff the more I I feel like an old fart because I just look at it and go I think it was better when it was all grained up they'll, and you couldn't make shit out. They'll you know? start
1: they'll start adding the grain back to the to the Blu-rays and pretty soon when you get a Blu-ray movie in the in the future it'll be a movie that was made to be seen in that definition. So they'll smooth all that stuff up. But it's like when CDs first came into play. You know, they they were like, oh, we got to get all these old classic records out on CD. So they would take, like, all the Jimi Hendrix records and put them out on CD. But they didn't know how to master stuff for CDs because they were new. So you would hear this Jimi Hendrix thing where they took off. They're like, we'll get all the original tapes and we'll remaster it. But the problem was those tapes were meant to be mastered in a certain for analog sound. So you would hear this Jimi Hendrix singing where there would be, you know, all, he was like, oh, I'm going to go psychedelic and layer backwards masking stuff and backwards guitar over it. You would actually hear the new piece of tape go <laughs> over the head of the thing as they added a new effect to it. And it was just too, it, it ruined all these old songs that were kind of mushy before, but they were crystal clear, but you could hear all the, the glitches and and stuff that, right. that that just never picked up in analog and it took them years to start you know and then so that's why everybody who bought all their classic rock albums had to buy them like three or four times because they kept getting remastered till they sounded like they did till like sounded the, like they did originally mm-hmm,
0: right it yeah. was like the Beatles that one Beatles song um, I think it's Day in the Life where you can hear somebody walking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end, you know? And it's like I'm pretty sure that was never intended to be heard. There's you no know? way
1: there's no way it would have been picked up on the vinyl. There's no way the right. vinyl sound quality would have had that that wavelength. And they depended on that. So, you know, back in the days in the studios they knew that they knew that they could walk around and and do certain things and it wouldn't end up on there. But it was all there on the original recording tapes. Yeah. It was funny. I was having this uh, conversation last night outside with some music fan about he was he was some some new bit ba- like the Foo Fighters or something did their whole uh, album on analog equipment and you can get it on vinyl and everything. The guy's like, it sounds so much better, and I'm like, do you have the CD? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, it's digital now. <laughs> It was analog, but as soon as you put it on that DVD, he's just like, nobody should ever listen to MP3s. They're such shitty sound quality. He was one of those hmm. guys. I hear people moaning about that all the time. He's MP3's an audiophile He's an audiophile with $1,000 speak- homemade speakers, you know? You play MP3s on homemade. It, if you take MP3s and put them through, like, a, 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 a music club sound system, they do sound like shit. They're, they're compressed, and they so, they don't sound as Dude, I am now good. so
0: deaf from from three years in that huh? chicken plant and having you talk in my head at too high a volume for three years now that I can't hear the difference, so it doesn't matter to me, you know?
1: <laughs>
0: I can't tell. What? <laughs>
1: exactly. I, I just and wanted I'm- to say, Andy, you're such a patient and, and polite guy. Why didn't you ever tell me on our zombie show that that wasn't you that I uh, photoshopped onto the? I thought it was. <laughs> do you, uh, you don't wear glasses, do you? I,
3: I am at the minute. I've not got my contact lenses on at the minute.
1: Oh, but you do so have glasses. I, I do you have glasses? No, yeah. that was a picture of Sean Foster. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> remember when I we did the like wonder? God. Remember when we did the Wonder Woman show? I got everybody's uh, pictures, and I got yours. I thought Sean Foster was you, probably just because his picture was like in a pub and he had a pint in his hand. So I'm, oh, like, I'm like, okay. There's the zombie, British guy.
3: It's all zombified. It don't matter. It's all good.
1: It's your podcast, if man. Will, you but can... I'll
0: try to. Well, I'll try to keep us on 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 topic. With I, I really think if we if we just kind of give short shrift to the to the Star Wars issues, I think we'll be fine. Because my synopsis for '88 is pretty pretty brief. Really, it basically is like. I think it's th- three paragraphs. Some people, no, it's not for, even that. Some
1: people 80s. land on a planet and do some stuff, and then they don't at the yeah. end. Yeah. I, it anyway, is, I have a whole three paragraphs
3: for number 88. One that 3PO's a bit of a twat. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and, uh, you can say it's just that way, too. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for 88. Apart is this all the pictures? First, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's right. all the ones I've got with you on, I think. I've not scrolled through the rest of them. Oh, I know
1: exactly what you're talking about with C-3PO. I know exactly. Yeah, yeah. What, I had that same thought, too. It was just like, Jesus Am I Christ. allowed to say that on your show? Yeah, yeah twat away, it. man. All right, okay. You can it s- is
3: nice to be able to come on a show and be able
1: to swear. <laughs> I, I I think it's hilarious because, like, Scott's the one with the brakes on him with the, the swearing now, and it's just this weird situation where I've never <clears> seen the Scott Gardner who's had to say you know blast instead of fuck <laughs> I'm just that,
0: that's that's the one th- I'm just trying to stay away say from that, that say that word yeah I, and it, that's
2: not, that's not I
1: totally under- I'm no I
2: totally not to say it so
0: much in real life although driving in a, in Orlando yesterday um Totally destroyed my, you know, my my good record I had going well, for the year so far.
1: It's just because I I, I, I I do remember, and you had explained the same situation, but I saw it several times in my visits with you, where you'd be talking to the wife and kids, and you'd be like, "I don't know the fucking, the fucking, but." Your wife's looking at you like, and she'll be like, "Stop swearing!" You're like, "I'm not swearing." <laughs> I don't remember you swearing at all. I had to put the I had to put the well that you 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 came in the post fuck Scott Gardner. I was in I was I was back in the in the that I was lovely. I had to do the I I had to do the same thing at one point because I because I would was finding myself going home like dirt when I was in college I would go home to visit the family and be like you, you, using fucking is, you know, just sort of an um and or an er, or a, right, you know, right. just, just using it to fill space in between words, words. Sentences, and, yes. and would catch myself and go, okay, <laughs> I got to put the kibosh on this because it's, 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 you know, it's like alcoholism or something. It's like, okay, it's starting to affect my daily life. Now, now it's becoming a problem, but I, I got it fairly in control now to where I can have a conversation in front of church ladies and not let it, let it slip if it it happens it happens on purpose now for the most part
0: just as proof that that my my children are are more sophisticated and just just growing up to be better human human beings than than i ever was at their age you know logan just came in and you know they, they just got home my wife and logan they went grocery shopping and he proudly announced that He's a man now because he bought his first uh, bar of deodorant for himself. Whereas I can distinctly remember us holding our armpits up to each other and going, here, whiff this, you know, and stuff like
3: that. So.
1: <laughs>
3: oh, did you know what it was growing? So
1: he, says, he says that as if we were doing that back. Eventually it can, it got back, but it was just in retaliation for Scott's body odor bucket <laughs> sharing. <laughs> Scott was the king of having... Like me and me and Scott and usually uh, a lot of times, um, who another victim would be his cousin Michelle would be just sort of hanging around in Scott's room, reading comics, and uh, and Scott would be like, "Hey!" and you would turn your head and his fucking sweaty, s- stinky sock-filled foot would be like right, like pressed against your nose. You know, that used to really piss off Michelle. Oh yeah, She used did. to be just like, oh. oh.
0: Well, I mean, do you like having a sock in your face? No. You know, you do realize <laughs> that if for nothing else, and there's plenty, believe me, but if for nothing else, we are going to hell solely for just torturing that poor girl growing up. We? I didn't torture her. Oh, yes, you did i made out with her. <laughs> there you go. That's my definition yeah, right there. Well,
1: uh, What am I saying?
0: <laughs> All right. We need to get back into this because it's getting on dinner time and I'm getting the look. So. Supper time. Supper, 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 supper time. <laughs> Do we lose Andy?
1: No, no, I'm here. Oh, okay. He's just waiting for us to stop talking about bodily functions and... Get to India he enjoy.
0: loves it and he knows it.
1: Alright, so we ready to get into this?
0: Okay. Alright. <laughs> we're going to come right back off of the music and the intro for this, so I'll go right into Careful the synopsis. Shop. Me. Chris. <laughs> what is he Sorry, I
2: was about? just talking
3: to Angela. Sorry. Oh, that's I okay. was just showing Angela what, what, what Chris is going to do with the photoshop <laughs> of that picture.
1: Oh, I thought you were just being really creepy and talking close into the mic going me chris scott
2: <laughs> Together. Chris forever
1: chris scott. and ever oh, oh and
2: fan- i have uh, to cast go.
1: the phantom <laughs> tone
0: i think uh, murder she wrote's on
1: or something i gotta go <laughs> golden girls <laughs> are coming back out and it's your favorite episode oh, man, jesus. jesus all right uh, don't yeah. want to miss the end of oprah
0: No, I don't want to miss the end of Oprah.
1: (laughs) Oh (laughs) Is this the end of Oprah? God, I certainly hope so. (laughs) Could this be the end of Oprah?
0: Let us pray. All right, here we go.